7.3. Text 84850. Tweet at LBC 973. This is London's biggest conversation with Steve Allen. Morning, Monday morning. Very quiet out there this morning. I don't know why, all of a sudden it was... You know, normally I expect it to be a little bit busier, but it absolutely, um... It's dead as a doornail out there. It's, it's, it's quite quite spooky, actually, and quite eerie. I'm usually sort of confronted by a load of people either weeing in the park just over the road or sort of falling down in front of me. But uh, this morning it's all fairly quiet and fairly lovely, which means it's great. We're back to work. We've had a weekend of most peculiar weather. At one point it was like a tsunami. One minute I was there on Saturday in Reading at the back of the Majeski Stadium. Costco. I wasn't actually going to see anything at the, uh, the stadium. And the next minute, the heavens opened. And it was, we all stood, you can't go anywhere. And of course, I'd, you don't, when you go shopping, you don't think I'll take an umbrella, do you? Yesterday, early walk, very, very busy day yesterday, very busy day. Uh, went out for a walk in Regent's Park, all very nice indeed. The dog manages to find a puddle every week to roll around it. It just drives me insane. Uh, so I did that. And then we went to, always have to think of something different to do on a, on a Sunday. Because there are loads of things to do. Wanted to go and get... I had to get some socks, but I, I bought those before in Costco. I've discovered Costco. They're so expensive socks. I'd order, I have bought them in that Primark thing. And I've been in there, and they're, they're just too thin. They're just too thin. There's hardly any... There's, there's no substance to them. And being a diabetic, I want to, you know... I want particularly nice socks. At the moment, I'm wearing Pringle. All very, it makes no difference to my feet. I don't tell them I'm wearing Pringle. I just sort of put them on. And so yesterday, we did... We did, what did we do first? We did the Science Museum, because you can park for free just up the road. I'd all tell you where it is, just outside the National Geographic Society. And you could park there on the single line. Don't put it on the double yellow. They'll whisk you away very quickly. And you just park there, and then you just walk down, and you do the Science Museum, which is great. The Science Museum is great. The shop was very good, and, uh, and we did that. So we walked all the way round it. We did the, the Red Arrows thing. We did everything. Came out of there. And then we decide to go to the Natural History Museum. So we go in the... I shouldn't be telling you this now, because this is only for Londoners, OK? Don't tell the tourists, for God's sake, because they like queuing. OK, so when you go round the front by the Natural History... I'm going to get in so much trouble telling you this. If, if you go round the front by the Natural History Museum, there is a queue a mile long. Don't ignore it. Come back round the side, go through the Geology Museum, it takes you straight into the Natural History. No queuing, nothing. OK, so that, that's, my, that's my little secret, to go no further. So go through the... If you've got kids, they don't want to stand in line for an hour and a half. You go in, and also, they have desks there. They're a bit intimidating in the science... Was it the Science Museum or the Geology Museum? No, it was the it was a Science Museum, where you just walk through. You don't have to pay for... I think just tourists should pay. I don't think we should have to pay at all. We own it. And so they go through, and, and you get tourists saying, um, how much is it? And he shows, well, it's free, but we like a donation of £5. I don't pay the £5. If I want to give money, I will give money, and I've joined, and I've done all sorts of things like that. So we do that museum, and so we do the Geology Museum, which is lovely. I mean, it's really very well done, and we did the Science Museum, and then we did the Natural History Museum. So we, we've done all the museums in one day. Then we came back, and then we wanted to get some Nespresso coffee, so we parked up in Knightsbridge. Well, I parked up and waited. Darren ran over the road, got the coffee, came back again. And I came back home and then sort of trawled through the Sunday papers. And it was then... That I suddenly realised that things were not looking particularly good for Nelson Mandela, who is, this is the third time in hospital. The third time in hospital. And uh, Madiba, as they call him. That's his, his clan name. 
Um, they're, I mean, if they bring him back this time, it'll be like the miracle from all miracles. I mean, he's, he's been brought back. He's, and some people are saying that the family might withdraw treatment and just let him slip away. Uh, I, think he, I think he might come. Th- I don't know why. You know, half of me is saying, because it's a 50-50 shot, half of me is saying that he's, he's, he's going to pull through for a couple more days. And the other half of me is going, he's going to slip away this morning. Because I think he must... He's 94, for goodness sake. His little body must be so tired. They reckon it was all those times on Robin Island when he was working in the quarries that uh, led to this tuberculosis. And uh, now his, I think, liver and kidney functions are down 50%. Either way, you know, people, people like this old man. They like him. There's something about him. I don't know what it is. Whenever you see him and you saw him being interviewed... And I remember one... One stuck in my mind particularly, because he quite clearly didn't know who they were. But the Garden Force team went over there with Alan Titchmarsh and Charlie Dimmock, and they did a garden for him in his house. And he was, he, you know, it was very nice. It's a nice garden. But he quite clearly didn't have the faintest idea who they were at all. But that's what was nice about him. He's just, he's just there. And I think that when he passes over, you know, it'll be terribly, terribly sad. But I'm, I'm hoping that there's a little thing inside him that fights it. Because quite clearly, he, he doesn't want to go just yet. But if the situation changes, you'll hear it first on LBC 97.3. So uh, our thoughts with him and the family, and I think the whole country will just go into a state of mourning. But he's a nice person. You know, you don't often, you know, you think, I'm sure that, the, you know, the baby Jesus. Actually, that was another subject we came up with yesterday. We were having this discussion on whether or not God created the earth. And, of course, he quite clearly didn't. Because Jesus was walking around in Galilee... And we know that because it's all well, well documented. Some of the things in the Natural History Museum were over 1,600 million years old. We were looking at things in there which were so old, they were almost, you know, you almost couldn't, couldn't date the things. They also had uh, Darwin's Origin of Species book, which is one of their rarest finds. But their rarest thing in there is hidden away. You go up the staircase, go to the right, immediately do a sharp left, and in a fairly dark little room you will find some treasures in there which are the treasures of the museum. One of them is, is the earliest recorded bird. It's in a rock. They've split the rock down the middle and opened it up, and you can see this bird, and they reckon it's, uh, it's what was it, 1,700 million, whatever it was, it was. You couldn't even calculate. This thing must be delighted. But the one thing they've got in there, which I was a bit uneasy about, is Guy the Gorilla and Chi-Chi, the panda, had both been stuffed. Now, I just thought, and I, d- I don't know why, perhaps I was wrong, perhaps I was wrong, I sort of thought, here is Guy the Gorilla, who became a star at London Zoo, Chi-Chi and Anan became stars as well, and they've ended their lives in a cabinet. You know, Guy the Gorilla, it took them nine months to stuff him. It's not because he's particularly big, they wanted to make sure they did a, a particularly good job. So there he is, for all that, you expect him to wave at you. You expect him to wave at you. And the same for Anan, who, who, uh, Chi-Chi, who, poor soul, is down in the canteen. At the back of the canteen, I was mortified. You know, put them side by side, at least. Perhaps they can have a, a slight conversation. But apart from that, it was all lovely. And there's some lovely pictures from a book upstairs in this little hidden room, which you wouldn't, you probably wouldn't go in it. You wouldn't go in it. You've got to go up, up the staircase on the, come in, it's on the, yeah, you get the main staircase, you go off to the right and then sharp left at the top, just opposite Guy, Guy the Gorilla. Have a look at that room. They've got some beautiful bird paintings. They've got a couple of pages from a book, the most valuable book in the world, million pounds. They're bird paintings. But they're stunningly beautiful. They've got a couple in there. And some really interesting, you look at them and you think, oh, my God. 
the skull of a man that they found. His teeth look reasonably good. That's the kind of thing you look at, isn't it? And then you sort of come out of there and you go through the geology museum and you look at... The whole thing is now geared to gift shops. So I, I bought myself a little bracelet. How sad am I? How sad am I? Three pounds it was. I didn't want to spend any more. It would mark my skin. And um, I bought this little brick to make me look trendy. It doesn't work, actually, as looking trendy. Look about as trendy as poor old Grant Bovey, who is going out with that woman because they appear to be hand in hand. A little bit difficult to tell whether they're actually holding hands. She's wearing a leopard print. It's a little bit cheap and tacky, but, you know, you can't do anything about that. And they're in the south of France. He quite clearly couldn't care less about Anthea Turner. I'm roughly the same myself. I couldn't care less either. It's no, no business of ours whether or not somebody's marriage splits up. If, you know, if, if the love has gone out of a marriage, as you all know, there's nothing you can do about it. it you, you just drift apart and you drift further apart and then it turns to sheer hatred and then you can't wait to see the back of them. And quite clearly, he wants to be in the south of France. He's a bankrupt. Luckily, he's found a woman who's linked to a bit of money. Far be it from me to suggest that he's sort of moving in the, in the wrong direction. She's an interior designer... So, you know, she's got a lot of the Anthea. Although Anthea, I don't think, as far as I know, was ever sort of qualified and stuff like that. But I did speak to somebody the other day. I can't tell you who it was. And I said, oh, no, no, no. He said, oh, he's um, developing a programme, maybe for Anthea Turner. I went, oh, no, please not. Please not. Spare me that one. Spare me that one. But, uh, you know, it's, I mean, it, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. I don't know. It's, it's very interesting um, that this... This woman with Grant Bovey, a man who you couldn't trust as far as you could throw him. I mean, she's 25. Well, I thought she was 50. I seriously thought she was 50. I'm looking at the picture on the front. If that's a 25-year-old, by God, she's had a rough life. I mean, she really does. You look at the picture on today. I'm not being, not being cruel, not being bitter or twisted in any way, shape or form. But I'm telling you, she's an old 25. I don't know how old he is. Was he 90, 97? I don't know how old Grant Bovey is. I just don't like him. I don't like him. I don't think he's very pleasant. I remember seeing him at one time. He, he was, he's just, I don't know. You know. Some people you look at on the, it's like watching people on the television and trying to work out why, you know, some shows work with presenters and why a lot of shows don't work with presenters. But I did see something very, very interesting. What is the link between Mick Jagger from the old Rolling Bones and the Science Museum? Mick Jagger and the Science Museum. It's, I didn't realise, I didn't realise, but Mick Jagger and the Science Museum, there is a connection. What do you think it is? I'm going to keep you hanging on for that one a little bit later on. Uh, apart from that, uh, somebody won The Voice. Nobody gives a stuff either way, I'm afraid. It's, uh, it's some partially blind singer from Ireland who's already had albums out. Makes a whole mockery of the whole thing. They weren't look, look, actually looking... Uh, for anybody at all. Uh, Robbie Williams has declared he'll buy his baby daughter drugs when she grows up to make sure she takes the best possible. I'm not sure whether he's actually stupid or whether somebody's just made this up. It's a little bit difficult. Uh, Amy Winehouse, her brother has claimed, uh, was killed by an eating disorder. Mm. I don't think the autopsy said that, did it really? I don't think so. He says that she had uh, long been battling with bulimia. Uh, I think she had 416 milligrams of alcohol in her blood, if, if memory serves me correctly. That's... How, how, many, how many times over the drink drive limit? Once? No. Twice? No. Three times? No. Four times? No. That's five times the limit. I don't think she was bulimic at all, mate. Either way. Either way. Not here, so we can't... We'll never get the answers at all. Uh, Andrea Begley fears now because she's famous... Sorry, darling, you're not. 
Uh, you were on The Voice. It means nothing at all to anybody outside of the Balls Pond Road. Um, she fears she may lose her boyfriend. So there you go. Holly Willabooby uh, racked up a new, a new first, managing to show quite a lot of leg and a lot of boob at the same time which I think is quite funny. I was talking about her husband the other day, Dan Baldwin. We were sort of chatting about Dan Baldwin. And how on earth a bloke who isn't, isn't blessed with looks managed to get somebody like Holly Willabooby. And uh, we came up with a, with a few ideas, actually, none of which are repeatable, I'm afraid, on a, on a Monday morning on LBC. LBC 97.3. In mid breakfast. Back this morning from 7. LBC 97.3. Four. Coming up with Nick Ferrari this morning, of course, the latest on Nelson Mandela's condition. Plus, what would you make? Uh, what would make a 28-year-old woman want to end her life? Depression, I'm assuming. And would you mind if your council spied on you from the sky in the name of catching illegal immigrants? One council near London, this has become a reality. This is Slough, although you could equally do it in Southall. And what they've done is people have uh, converted sheds in the back of their garden and they rent them out to people. There's loads of them. I've, I've, I've seen the helicopters flying all over, taking pictures of these. There's thousands. Not just a few. They're renting them out to all sorts of people. You get about six or seven people living in one of these shacks at the end of somebody's garden and paying rent to these crooked, bent so-and-sos. Anyway, apart from that, I'm also in two minds, I'm afraid, this morning. I'm in two minds over whether or not the teacher, the 15-year-old girl, whether he deserved to go to prison. I'm, really, I'm struggling with this one. And the only reason I'm struggling with it, not because I subscribe to this, oh, it's the teacher and he can't do anything, because there was a piece in the paper going, oh, of course, he, he sported a black eye in court because he was beaten up because prisoners don't like people who interfere with children. She's 15, for God's sake. She's not a child anymore. She's 15. You know, I can name you lots of celebrities. I understand it's the law. But for God's sake, if they're in love, and I don't believe they're in love for a minute, you know, it's like an infatuation. We all have it. But five and a half years. And she's got, she's got permission to go and visit him in prison. And prisoners beat them up. What, people in there for murder? And they beat up somebody because they've had sex with a 15-year-old. Dear God in heaven, might as, well, might as well arrest everybody in nightclubs. Gosh, you'd imagine. There's been thousands, if not millions of people out there. Well, five and a half years was a little bit excessive. But I did smile. Oh, actually, incidentally, somebody's written in to say, how old were you when you f- went on your first aeroplane? This is in light of the story of the kid in Dubai who won't come back. And I'm thinking, well, how did they get him out there in the first place? And I agree with everybody else. Give him a tablet, let him go to sleep, put him on the plane. Like they, they did it in the A-team. Mr T had a fear of flying. Fool. And so consequently, they sort of gave, gave him a little tablet. Off he went. And they put him on the plane, you get off the other end. I've never heard of parents being dictated to by a 12-year-old, but we don't know the family. But I'm assuming that that would be the easy way. But the other good news... Oh, sorry. How old was I during my first flight on an aeroplane? Uh, on an aeroplane? I was a baby. I went on my first plane as a baby. I went on an RAF flight from London to Egypt, where my father was stationed. And so my mother had had me in this country. And then I flew out with my mum as a baby to go and see my father. So we grew up around aeroplanes, so I never had a fear of flying. And the, the best bit for me is the takeoff. You know when he puts his foot down on the accelerator? Whoa, the G-force. I love that. I don't remember that as a baby, because I'd have probably sat there thinking, my ears have gone funny. Why well, my ears gone funny? And they give you sweets and everything else. But that's, that was my first flight as a baby, and we flew around all over the place. Planes never worried me at all. I was used to sort of, you know, going out onto wind, wind-racked and wet tarmac to climb on board an RAF flight to take us uh, to wherever. But the good news is that my friend Dan very kindly sent me something um, from Ofcom. 
which I quite like, actually. And it's the fact that uh, a psychic TV channel has been fined. In fact, two psychic TV channels have been fined. This is Psychic Today and Big Deal. £22,500. Why? Because they were making claims about people who passed over, one being Millie Dowler and one being Michael Jackson. They were in breach of broadcasting rules after they showed a psychic telling viewers she'd been involved in the police investigation into the death of the murdered schoolgirl. Another psychic claimed she accurately predicted that her friend would become close to Michael Jackson before producing photographs of the pair in private locations, including his recording studio. Ofcom have ruled, this is the interesting one, that both instances were in breach of their broadcasting code, which states that services like astrology, horoscopes and tarot readings should be advertised as for entertainment purposes only. That's what it is. Nobody can talk to the dead. It's entertainment purposes. It's a bit of flotsam and jetsam. It's a little bit of, if you want to believe in it, well, that's your business. But they're going to park you. It's the same sort of people who go and sit in some barking mad old biddy's tent on a fairground, you know, while somebody... They've got... They're all over the place. Because people like to believe in something, don't they? Some people believe in chocolate bars. Some people believe in Kentucky Fried Chicken buckets. You know, and some people want to believe in tarot readings. And but as, as as you know, prove it yourself. Okay, if you want to believe in tarot readings, get it. Get a tarot deck. You might have one handy. I don't know if you've got one in the car. Get it out now. Deal out your ten cards. Boom, 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 boom. Okay, and that apparently is your destiny. All right. Put them back in the pack. Shuffle it. Deal them again. It'll be ten different cards. So all of a sudden, your destiny's changed from one second to the next. That's why it's a load of old hooky, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, no such thing as I said yesterday. I made myself laugh actually. Made myself laugh on Friday when I said, you know, when you get these psychics on the television, they go, oh, I've got, I've got Jean next to me. Oh, Jean, does that mean anything to anybody? Whereas, in fact, I'm shouting at the television. Why don't you ask Jean who the relatives are in the audience? Because you bet your bottom dollar she won't bloody well know. She won't know. She won't have the faintest idea. I said, so, Jean, tell us what, how, how, how you died. No, she can't. So you're going to try and find two old saddos in the audience who are going to go, oh, that's, that's, my, that's my auntie. Died in a car crash. Thank you. Thank you. Cold reading. Uh, so anyway, so flight on an aeroplane, baby. And it went on. I know some people are, are a bit scared about flying. doesn't bother me. I'm ne- I never worried about, you know, planes crashing. I never worried about anything like that. It's so rare. It is so rare. When it does happen, I mean, it's very, very rare. I just don't want to crash in the Andes and have people start saying, well, Steve looks interesting. A lot of meat on him. Start carving him up and having a little go. And then I was watching The Battle of the Little Bighorn. I don't know, it was a very strange weekend. And it was a documentary this morning on just how bad it was for Custer's last stand. And they didn't stand a cat in hell's chance, I'm afraid. They just didn't. Uh, some faffing little army man was sort of trying to look for one of his friends. And so, unfortunately, didn't think about poor old General Custer who was being massacred by the Sioux. And you remember, of course, that Sitting Bull was the one who issued the directive. I'm giving you a lesson in history here. This is, I mean, it's, it's all for free. There's no, no extra charge on the programme for this one. Sitting Bull had specifically said, do not touch the bodies of the soldiers. Do not strip them of anything. But unfortunately, the squaws went amongst the bodies and they stripped them of everything. They took their boots, their guns, their weapons, anything they thought could reset, they took everything. And strange enough, Sitting Bull came to London. Came to London. Do you remember him coming to... You probably won't remember him coming to London. But he was part of Buffalo Bill's Wild West show. And they came over and, uh, and Sitting Bull was there. I mean, that, people had never seen anything like that before. Never seen anything at all. 84850, steve at We've just woken up. It's 26 minutes past four. It's very nice indeed to have your company. Hope you're well. We'll have a check on the weather in a moment because I'm reliably informed today's going to be sort of OK. 
sort of OK. Oh, the bad news. I'm sorry to bring you bad news. I don't like to bring bad news this early in the proceedings. Uh, whilst you're still pondering on the link between Mick Jagger and the Science Museum. Mick Jagger and the Science Museum. Ponder on that one, if you will, just for a moment. Uh, Dancing on Ice may be brought back. Oh, God, please not. Please not. I mean, at the moment, we're all revelling in the fact that we've managed to... Because I know he's hardly working at all. Pip Schofield. You know, we do worry about the fact that he's hardly got any work at all from ITV. And so if he loses this job, that would be a nightmare for us, wouldn't it? I mean, I don't want to see his income cut down. How much do you reckon, incidentally? They've only estimated... um, each episode of Dancing on Ice costs. What do you reckon that costs? I thought threepence halfpenny, but there you go. That's just me looking at. Hi, yeah, Christine Bleakley, who frankly wasn't worth the uh, the rent money. Million pounds, million pounds an episode. One episode, one episode, a million pounds. That's because they were paying dreary old has-beens like Pamela Anderson. I think she got a quarter of a million quid. Then, by the time you've worked out, freezing water costs an awful lot. And then you've got to get outfits. And there'd be a team of about 60 on that programme. All want paying. Then you've got to rent the venue, cameramen. I mean, it's, it's, it's quite, quite a big deal. Million pounds. Million pounds. You know, easily done. Easily done. Uh, other stories of the papers today. Oh, Emma Bunton says people are sick of nasty telly judges. No, we're not. We do. We do. We like nasty telly. That's what makes it. She's going to start on some programme. And I can't remember what it is, but it's, it's like uh, Julian Clary and her... And it's sort of a cross between, I think, um, a singing and a dancing competition. I think that's what I think it is. So it's called Show Your Your Face Sounds Familiar. And so they put a load of people on there. Denise Lewis, Cheryl Ferguson. I thought she was in Three Degrees. Turns out she was the fat bird out of uh, EastEnders. Uh, Emma Dale's Natalie Anderson. Nope, not a clue, I'm afraid. Uh, Bobby Davro. Good Lord. That dredge- They've been to a cemetery or something to find these people. And apparently from um, from this morning, Matt Johnson. I have to tell you who he is because nobody knows who he is, poor soul. So Matt Johnson from this morning and they all do it. But in fact, Emma Bunton has said people are sick of... No, that's what... That's why it works. There's no point sitting there going, oh, you know, you're really good and really nice and I, th- I think you're going to go far. Why would you lie to people? If they're rubbish, you tell them they're rubbish. I know it's it's being cruel to be kind, I'm afraid. It's it's being cruel to be kind. And, I'd, and I mean, I would be the first person. To, I'm not the sort of person who's going to sit there and tell some some person, look, I, th- I think you've really got talent when they haven't. Why would you lie to someone? That's just stupid. No, you've got to be nasty to them because the nasty ones get the edge and the edge get the coverage in the newspapers. Nobody, and put it away, the only thing they ever wrote about some of the teleprograms was, was exactly Jason Gardner being nasty to that old Karen Brady only because she was shacked up with one half of Torville and Dean. That was the only reason. And that's, that made it interesting, because we were looking forward to the spats. Nobody really gave a stuff about the other people on the pat. Nobody cared about them. You were looking for the edge. You want the edge to get the, the coverage in the newspapers. Don't get the coverage in the newspapers. And I have to tell you, no audience. And that was like the Spice Girls movie, Viva Forever. I'm sure it was really sweet and lovely, but it didn't have any edge to it. And it was too soon. Leave it another few years and it would go really, really well. But at the moment, it's not. And Emma, Emma was saying, you know, she thought it was really good people were up and dancing. Unfortunately, you know, when you get the usherettes dancing, it's not quite good enough. You need a few more people because you're trying to fill a theatre and you need a lot of money in the advance. And I think people just weren't interested. I know it sounds awful. I'll give it another ten years and they might be interested. But it's almost like people cashing in on it when we weren't ready for it. 
It's LBC 97.3. Steve Allen's Early Breakfast. Time now, 4.30. News headlines with Alex Dillon. Morning! So what does Mick Jagger have in common with the Science Museum? I didn't know till yesterday. Strange, isn't it? I'll tell you in a moment. Well, I might drag it out a little bit. I see poor old Helen Flanagan's back on the fags again. Cigarettes. Uh, after that terrifying ordeal where they threatened to tie her up, they didn't. Uh, where they threatened her, they didn't. They just shoved her in a room and locked the door. It was so much easier. Go in there, drippy girl. OK, and then they escaped with lots and lots of jewellery. Apparently, they say, believed to be worth 15000 well, that's what they're probably going to be putting on the insurance claim. It was worth 15000 Where'd you get it from? Gems TV. I don't think so, dear. I don't think you could, you could buy the whole day and it wouldn't cost you fifteen grand. And so she's gone back, apparently. But apparently she felt millions better after quitting smoking. Now she's gone back on it again. Weak as well as stupid then. Uh, one, look has said, one onlooker said, you know, she's done ace since New Year. All being well, she'll stop again when she feels confident enough. Because confident, you know, when you, I mean, every time she turns around, there's a blooming photographer there. I mean, this poor woman can't even go to the toilet without so, oh, another photographer. Hello. It's like there's a lovely picture of Denise Van Outen in the papers today. Luckily, she took a photographer on holiday with her to show her on holiday yet again. This is about the umpteenth holiday, mainly, I suppose, because there's no work about there at the moment. Lee Mead is in the West End, and they like to make a big thing about her and Lee are splitting up. But he's in a show in the West End. You can't just walk out of a show. And then go on holiday, but as I say, she very luckily took a took a photographer with her, so we feel so much better about it, which is good news. Uh, we'll have the latest on Nelson Mandela. If it, if the situation changes, you'll hear it first on LBC ninety seven point three. Uh, the uh, the family are with him. The doctors are, are battling to sort of try and stabilise things, and so it's it's anybody's guess at the moment. I'm not even going to hazard a guess at what I think. I've just got this. But although if I, if I was going to hazard a guess, having just contradicted myself, I think there's something about this man. He's so resilient. He's 94. The last pictures I saw of him, he was sitting at a dinner table. Everybody else was chatting away, and he's there, lost in thought, lost in thought. You can just you can see that he's just away, and he's just you can imagine what go through what goes through his mind. What is going through Nelson Mandela's mind when he's sitting there or lying there in his hospital bed? He's, he's, very, he's very lucid. He's, he's able to, you know, he knows what's, what's going on. It's just that he can't do anything about it. And because of the tuberculosis and because of the problems with his kidneys and everything else, he's 94, for goodness sake. You know, they're doing their very best. Turned out the ambulance that took him to hospital broke down on the way there. Not the best, is it? Not the best. Nigella Lawson. It's good if you really want to look depressed, go out without makeup on. So for the last week, she's just not bothered with makeup because that's good. Because otherwise, you'd be putting on a brave face, wouldn't you? You'd be putting on your makeup. I mean, I don't quite understand unless it's done for for publicity purposes. Apparently, she can't even cook now. And so, food was delivered the other day. Uh, a waiter brought food to us to her sister's flat. He was dressed as a silver service waiter. He brought food in. Well, she can't even cook anymore. So she lost the ability to cook. I mean, it can't be the first time things like this have happened. Charles Sarchi. And her might divorce, might not. It depends which paper you read yesterday. Depends which paper. If, if, if you read most of the Sunday papers, half of them were, were divided. They were saying, well, yes, she's definitely going for divorce. And then the other half were going, no, she's not going for divorce. <laughs> you can't believe anything. Uh, I'm 68 today. I've never flown. I have a total fear of flying. I think hypnotism works on some people. Yes, it does. well, there's all sorts of things. You can probably get, you know, um, you know tablets to calm you down. It depends what, what you worry about when you don't... When you have a fear of flying, is it the taking off? Is it the... I mean, when I get on a, a flight, I just want to go to sleep. I literally... I don't, I don't drink alcohol on flights. I know some people spend most of their time across the Atlantic high as a kite, as it were. 
Because they're just, uh, another little gin and tonic, please. Not me. I sit there. I might have... I might have a tomato juice. I quite like a tomato juice. Most people absolutely hate tomato juice. But I quite like it with a packet of crisps. Tomato juice and a packet of crisps. And I'm quite happy. Quite happy with that at all. It doesn't, doesn't bother me. It's the boredom factor. So I'm not one of these people who sits there on their iPad. I don't do that. I watch the films, whatever's, whatever's going. And I make sure I've got a bottle of water in the seat in front, just in the little, little sort of glove compartment thing. So that if I, if I go to sleep, then I wake up. First thing I want is a glass of water. I don't have to start getting nurse. Sorry, stewardess. I was thinking my hospital. And so I always take a little bottle of water with me, which is fine. And, and I sleep my way across, across the world. I'm quite, I'm quite, quite good at it. I can sleep anywhere, mate. I'm lucky. I'm one of those, those people. Uh, Graham in Surbiton, you are right. He does. He does. I'm not going to tell you what it is yet. He does, though. You're absolutely right. Patricia says, I adore flying, especially the takeoff and landing. And my real favourite bit is the turbulence. It's terrific. Better than a fairground ride. Flying is a marvellous experience, and I can't understand why some folk are frightened. I know, but if you aren't, if you don't have a phobia about that kind of thing, you probably can't understand why some people have a fear of it. The turbulence bit would probably freak them out totally. But I just think a good crack over the head with a, you know, a sort of big mallet or something like that, like Timmy Mallet is on a plane. But a tablet, you can take tablets to calm you down and stuff like that. This is the story that Duncan was running with about the 12-year-old boy in Dubai who doesn't want to come back here. But we don't know whether or not he just doesn't want to come back to England or whether or not he's... Because he doesn't want to come back by any method of transport. He doesn't want to come back by boat. He doesn't want to come back by plane. He can't come back by boat. Why? Oh, visa... Oh, right. So is he British? Is he Brit- he's a British person. And he's been living out in Dubai. And presumably now the family are coming back to this country. And he doesn't want to fly. Perhaps he doesn't want to leave his friends. I'm assuming he doesn't want to leave his friends. They are. So he's, he was trapped in Dubai. They, they, they call it trapped in Dubai. Because he's been there for ages. I remember reading this story ages ago. And uh, he's still there. A year. A year after we reported this story. Isn't it unbelievable? A year afterwards, because he's so... Fr- there must be some way round it. There must be other people who've been, who've been scared of flying before. He's tried four times to board a plane with his family, but each time he broke down in tears and refused to fly. I'm sorry, you just... What is this? It's a 12-year-old dictating to his parents. He started at 11. He subsequently refused to travel home by boat and overland. And now, a year later, he remains stranded four and a half thousand miles from home with his father while his worsening mental condition continues to baffle psychiatrists. He's just a fat little boy, I'm afraid, who won't get on a plane. I don't quite understand. His me- no, he's just being stubborn. Get on the plane. No. No. Like children. You know, like children are. I'm, get- I'm taking your sweets away. Give me the Haribo. Give me the Haribo. <laughs> Give me the blooming Haribo. I'll feed it to the cat. Oh, just give him a tablet. Let's give him a tablet. So he's now got an intense fear of all forms of transport. I'm surprised he's even... Oh, he's wearing... Wait a minute, he's wearing those rubber shoes. Oh, there's a worry. There's a worry for a 12-year-old. Give him some vans, for God's sake. And so, um... The situation has now reached an expensive impasse for his dad, who's 63, who now tries to reconcile his son's condition with his responsibility to his distraught wife, Pauline, and daughter, Chloe, 17... We're back at the family home in Western Supermare. Mr Thompson's a former aide to John Prescott, has pleaded for help to rescue his son after spending his savings and borrowing £40,000 to fund their... Unex- what are they? Where are they living in Dubai, for God's sake? So he's, he's spent all his savings and he's also borrowed forty grand. 
Joe has been diagnosed with severe anxiety disorder and flight phobia. But Mr Thompson, of course, parents are always like this, thinks his son's problems go far deeper. So his son has now been prescribed antidepressants. He's 12 and he's on antidepressants. Unfortunately, he uh, still refuses to return home, fills his time playing rugby, seeing friends, watching TV and going to the mall to surf Facebook. Mr Thompson says, I've tried all the tactics to encourage Joe. When I've no money left, I'll sit on the British Embassy steps and say, here are our passports, we need help. I mean, I've, I've never really liked it in my life. Just give him a tablet. Knock him out and then bring it back. He won't know. He won't know. He needs £3,000 a month to stay in Abu Dhabi. He and Joe have moved into a small two-bedroom flat in Al Ain after staying with friends who took pity on them. Um, he says it's not as if Joe's living a life of luxury. There's no swimming pool or internet access. So it's different to the six-bedroom villa we had when I came out here to work as a quantity manager at a private hospital. Why did you bring him out there? Well, just leave him at home. So he, he's now stuck. At, give him a tablet. Just give him a t- Mix it up with his cornflakes in the morning. He won't know. Stick it inside a Weetabix. I'm just trying to think of it. You know, this, this man's going broke. And all because the sun breaks down into... Well, just, you know... I don't. I don't know. It's ridiculous, isn't it, really? When you think about it. I just see it as a, as a child who's now been... But you can find people to diagnose you with anything. Give him a tablet. Knock him out. Wheel him on as quick as possible. Fly him like... Or fell Because he won't go... So presumably he'll go in a car. Why can't they sit him in a car and sit him on a boat or something? There must be some way back. Otherwise, I, I, I see no end in sight, ladies and gentlemen. No end in sight at all. Um... So, oh, sorry, I don't know where I was gone there. Where have I gone there? Oh, that's gone a bit peculiar. Sorry, I was trying to find... Oh, that's it there. Oh, there we go. Blooming things back on again. The computer's playing silly beggars this morning, so just bear with me for the uh, for the text and emails. We do have a gadget giveaway for you this morning. Nice one. Very nice one. And uh, Rachel Riley, apparently, to mark her 1,000th appearance, they got uh, that well-known Lothario, Ryan Giggs, to pop up and give her a shirt which, with her name on it, Riley. They're that desperate on Countdown. They have to stick they have to stick him on there, which is a bit of a shame. There's a food writer trying to beat a record for scoffing biscuits, failed and slipped into a coma. Kevin Shalin, nicknamed the Mighty Rib. I've never even heard of him. Where was this? Little Rock, Arkansas. Oh, there's a thing in the papers today. Talk about PR puff. Oh, talk about PR puff. It's, uh, it's for a new donut in America. Apparently, the whole of America's gone mad over... And you can't get them. They're really difficult. It's called a cronut. Have you heard of this one? This will amuse you this morning. It's, it's a cross between a donut and a croissant with a lemon cream in it. OK, talk about PR puff and hype. And apparently people queue up from four o'clock in the morning for this baker's. He sells them for about £3.60 a time. It's quite clearly rip-off, isn't it? I mean, it's only a donut that costs, like, threepence to make. And um, it's, it's, uh, he's got uh, people queuing up outside. It's been trademarked. It's made of thin layers of flaky dough, deep fried, rolled in rose sugar, then topped with a light lemon cream. It sounds disgusting. It really does. But there are many of you listening thinking, mm, that sounds quite nice. £3.20. But because he only makes a few hundred a day, some of them are being sold online for about $100 each. Well, just make more, dear. Don't be so stupid. You know, oh, we can only do 100 and So people queue up. The clamour for his product is so great uh, he claims the reselling is illegal, has now gone from behind the counter, and instead he stands at the front... Talk about an old PR puff, this is. What a pile of old rubbish. A doughnut that's deep-fried, ladies and gentlemen. 
Not good for you at all, I'm afraid. And then dusted with rose sugar. And uh, it, they now say it can go for up to £65. One businessman, Edward Klugerman, began queuing at 4.30. So he's at the front of the queue of 450 people. But you know what the Americans are like? They're barking mad. They'll queue for anything. Is, it, is this a queue? Oh, I'll be in this queue then. What, what are we queuing for? You're queuing for a donut. Sorry? Donuts. All right. How many can we buy? Well, it used to be six, but he's limited to two. I mean, quite clearly, he's the stupidest man in the world. But he's, he's managed to get some publicity in the papers over here. Not sure if the American papers have covered that at all. Uh, anybody watching Big Brother? Nope, didn't think so. Sorry about that. Uh, they've still put this old creature on the front who uh, has failed to understand that it's because she's ugly and she's just not very nice. They kicked her off the programme. The public didn't want her on there. They didn't like her. And she was on the front of one of the Sunday papers, only the Daily Star, because nobody knows who the heck she is. You know, claim to fame, you slept with somebody from The Only Way's Essex. is hardly claim, you know, to be in the papers. And also, you're very unattractive, darling. You know, the tattoos aren't helping. They really don't help. It just makes you even look more, more trailer trash than I thought you were in the first place. She says, I love being the most hated woman in Britain. Nobody knows who you are. That's the trouble. And so she has admitted being an internet troll as well. I mean, they're, they're, they're trying to come up with something to make her interesting, but because she's so deadly dull, you can't do anything with her. And so she's had to say she's an internet troll and she's uh, sent things to, to Lisa and stuff like that and to Holly Willabooby. And you think, and still nobody knows who you are, darling. It's such a shame. I mean, you know, how to look old and haggard at your age, and it has been. But apparently now she's going, I think I might go to Marbella. Good, go to Marbella. Stay as far away as possible, because there's no career for you here, darling. No career at all. And uh, the big brother, ex-copper, Gay Dan, has given Scotland Yard a headache by blabbing about the Jimmy Savile sex abuse case to housemates. Um, well, so claims Sally. This is Sally, S-A-L-L-I-E. Major chav spelling, I'm afraid. Wrong on so many levels, darling. You know, if you don't have any talent, then I suppose get yourself some uh, some, some ghastly-looking cheap tattoos and go on a TV programme and still emerge as a failure. That really has to be the saddest thing I've ever seen. 14 to 5. London's biggest conversation. Hello. 12 minutes to uh, 5. It's Steve Allen's Early Breakfast. It's LBC 97.3. You're very welcome. You wake up uh, this morning to the fact that Nelson Mandela is critical. They issued a statement uh, last night saying he's on the critical list, but doctors are, are battling to save him. He's 94. His condition did deteriorate quite quickly last night, so the family were, uh, were taken to the hospital. He's not opened his eyes in, in days his condition is said to be unresponsive at the moment. His liver and kidney functions are now down to 50%. They uh, say the tuberculosis, which is effective, he's had a new knee put in. He's had all sorts of things. I mean, he's had the best possible treatment that there is. Nobody could have had better treatment than Nelson Mandela. Nobody could be more loved around the world than Nelson Mandela. So we'll, we'll keep you up to speed with that if, if the situation changes. And I hope it doesn't. I hope he manages to pull through. But he, he appears to be, with the help of God, clinging on. He's obviously God has obviously decided he doesn't want to have him just yet. Perhaps they're preparing the room or something. But whatever it is, we like Nelson Mandela. On Friday, on the LBC Gadget giveaway, Jonathan Harris from Birmingham correctly identified that Jamie Redknapp married Louise Nerding. We thought that might have thrown a spanner into the works by calling her Louise Nerding. Uh, he got himself, anyway, the Nike Plus fuel band. Well done, Jonathan. Today, today, I'm giving away, wait for it, the Google Chromebook laptop. This has got cloud storage for added security. So, in other words, even if you lose the thing, you plug the next one back in and everything is saved. OK, it saves everything. Up there, 
in the clouds. A Google Chromebook laptop. It's very nice. It's very, very nice. And it can be yours. I just love the sound of the word Chromebook. It just makes it sound very futuristic and very space age. It does everything. Light, easily transportable, and you could get your hands on it at 6.30 this morning because this is a, this is a timed out gadget giveaway. So the Google Chromebook laptop. Somebody will win it. It's by Samsung. You can have a look at it on the internet. It's very nice. It really is very nice, as, you know, even even if you sort of keep it and give it away to somebody at Christmas, if you're feeling that generous, or if you want to just go, I'm keeping it myself, if you're lucky enough to win it. Right, here we go. You can tell what we're going to... Monday, the Monday question is always the indicator as to what the question is going to be for this week. So today we're obviously doing advertising slogans. Which brand has the advertising slogan, Eat Fresh? Which brand has the advertising slogan, Eat Fresh? To enter, you text the word gadget, very, very important, G-A-D-G-E-T, then your answer, which brand has the advertising slogan, Eat Fresh? And you send it to 84850. 84850. And it's got to be here before 6.30 this morning. I understand that you understand that as well. So, the text costs pound fifty plus your standard network rate. If you text after the closing time, you won't be entered, but you may still be charged. We play across the LBC network. Full terms and conditions are online at lbc.co.uk. So which brand has the advertising slogan, Eat Fresh? I have to be honest, I don't know that one at all. But then there's very few of these I know at all, I'm afraid. Uh, 84850, <coughs> skew, uh, steve at lbc.co.uk. Have you ever scooped out the entire middle of a jacket potato so you're left with just the skin? Fill it with Hellman's and grated cheddar. Don't forget the chives. Oh, what, that much Hellman's? Oh, dear. Oh, no, just, I mean, grated cheddar is put in. I like baked potatoes, actually, but I've never scooped out the whole potato. Uh, Daz says the programme at 8pm on Thursdays on Pick TV called New Ghost Adventures in which three guys visit haunted locations and they use a device called a spirit box which allegedly picks up the voices of the dead. It's so funny. I know. It's so fraudulent as well, isn't it? <coughs> Just absolute rubbish. There are no voices of the dead. That's why they're called dead. Go to the dictionary. Define the word dead to me, ladies and gentlemen. Um... How did that person get to Dubai in the first place, says D. My dad's an ex-Spitfire pilot who also had been a test pilot and always owned a light aircraft, so flew everywhere on seeing my nervousness on a flight to Paris, told me, the only time to worry is take off and landing. If anything happens at 30,000 feet, you've had it anyway. That settled my fears instantly. Not. But he did tell me the safest place to sit, at home in the armchair. Oh, I always think um, the safest place to sit is at the back of an aircraft. They never reverse into mountains. Have you noticed that? They go straight in. They don't, you know, the, the, the back you're going to be safe. Let everybody else go first and you just get out and go, OK, I'm putting a flag on this mountain for Britain. Hooray! Well, that's, everybody's happy. Doesn't help if you're terrified, doesn't it? Another one here says, I'm screaming at the moment. He's a spoilt little person. Slip a tablet in his milk, for goodness sake. What's the matter with his parents? He's getting attention. I can imagine what my parents would have done. Dragged me by my ears onto the plane. Well, you can't. You can't do that nowadays. They've got right. They, they've heard the word social services. They're not stupid. Oh, God, no. If, if, if you have a kid, can you imagine sitting on a plane? There's a kid screaming and crying. Although eventually they, they, they kind of run out of, of crying. I'm assuming. I mean, I, I think a tablet in his drink. You say, OK, let's have a glass of milk this morning, shall we? Put two tablets in. La, la, la. Go on, you drink it all down. Love, love, love. Gone. Right. Quickly. 
in the car, whiz to airport, on plane. I think you have to do it in in stages. I don't know how many how many hours you could be out. You can't have an unconscious kid on a plane, can you? So it's, it's obviously not as simple as that. What are you doing? You wouldn't be smuggling him on. You'd just be getting him out of the country, because otherwise, if there's no cure for this, he could be there for the rest of his life. But his father's gone bankrupt. So what, what do you do? What is the answer? Stick him in a rocket and sort of send him up and then sort of parachute him in. Sit him in the back of the car with blacked-out windows. I don't know what the answer is. If they can't come up with it in Dubai, and I'm fairly... I'm fairly assuming that it's it's something, you know, they must have all the medical attention over there. They can't get a 12-year-old kid on a plane. Do you think he's just being stubborn now? Do you think he's just being difficult and going, I mean, it's been a year. What have they done in this year? Have they been sort of, OK, here is a... Because all the people I know who have a fear of flying, they have a simulator at Heathrow Airport and they take you onto the plane, they sit you down on this mocked-up plane. It's, it's, a, it's a plane, but it's mocked up and you sit there and, and then they go, OK, we shut the doors... Now we open the doors and you get off the plane. Next day you go back and they sit you down in a seat. So you get used to the action of going on a plane. I know some people don't like the smell of planes. I could always remember the smell of planes, as a, but they were REF planes. And they always thought there was a certain... There didn't appear to be much luxury on them, put it that way. And so you get on there and eventually you, you train him, you educate him. It's like training a puppy, training a dog, training a cat, if you like, training a meerkat, training an elephant, training anything at all. You're training a child to get on to an aeroplane. OK, we're going to go on. We'll just sit here. OK, we'll have a little chat. Bring your iPad on. Sit there playing your iPad. What is it you don't like? Is it the noise? We put some headphones on so you're listening to some nice calming music. Don't sit by the window, sit by the thing. We put all, all the blinds down on the window. Or failing that, I used to love looking out the window. I just wanted them to be bigger. I wanted patio doors on aeroplanes. I quite like the idea you could have a patio door, a nice big window so you could see properly. They're a little bit too tiny, the windows on plane. And you look out the window and that was good. You go, oh look, people look like ants. You go, no, they are ants, we haven't taken off yet. And then you you taxi out and you just train somebody that way. That must be the way forward. I can't I can't think of why they've not done anything for the past so for the last year. They've faffed around, and then we get to this stage a year on, and he's still not getting on the plane. Well, then something has to be. Can't they hypnotise him? Somebody said to me, "Does hypnotism work?" I mean, I I assume it does. Somebody says, "Sounds like spoiled bratitis to me." <laughs> I don't think it's that. I think it's just the fact that he's now convinced... It's like children eating certain foods. It's like, I never used to eat mushroom. I'm not eating that. You, well, eat it, my mother used to say. Eat it. It's good for you. Eat your greens. I don't want to eat my greens. And in the end, it became a war of, of sort of who can, who can keep going the longest. Eat, eat your greens. I don't want to eat my greens. Well, they're good for you. I don't care. I feel, I feel sick. I'm going to be sick. You come up with any old excuse not to eat your greens. Mushrooms. Don't eat mushrooms, you know. Couldn't eat mushrooms. Now, I adore mushrooms. Adore mushrooms, dear. Um, and so that, that's, that's the kind of thing. And I think you just have to educate him. He's 12. He's learnt how to play the game. I brought you the catalogue. And, um, and he's learnt to say, I don't want to eat it. It was like Timothy Lumsden in Sorry, where, his, where he'd sit there and say, Mother, I don't want to eat any more of this food. She said, well, I'm going to put it in the fridge and you'll have it tomorrow. And so the next day out it would come and it just got worse and worse. But eventually you have to train again. I don't want to eat it, Mother. Well, we'll put it back in the fridge and then we'll heat it up again tomorrow. And you'll eat it. Because believe you me, I've not wasted good food. And here's a 12-year-old boy who's probably now convinced himself that he's got this thing. And also the resultant publicity. People come around and take your photograph and, you know, all of a sudden you're in the papers. And all because you won't get on a blasted plane. 
which is bankrupting, you know, just the guilt trip about the poor father going bankrupt could be the sort of, you know, the thing that would sort of wind somebody up. (laughs) Uh, As everybody said to me, how did he get to Dubai in the first place? Well, he was all right then, apparently. Magically, he sort of developed this thing. I'll tell you what, he's got his friends out there. He's been there for long enough now. He's got friends. I don't want to leave my friends. I love you all. You're my my bestest friends in the whole wide world. You're going back to England. I don't want to go back to England. I'm not getting on the plane. I'm going to go and talk to my friends again. (laughs) You just see it, can't you? You can just see it. Um, Weather for today. Now, I'm not going to tell you the weather just yet. I've decided I'm saving it. I don't don't want to sort of... I don't want to ruin your day in case it's not very good. Um... It's Abu Dhabi, not Dubai. Well, they were living in Dubai. That's where they were living to start with. So, uh, always right, as you know, on this programme. Never make a mistake. And if we do, we certainly don't admit it. Um, If I'd refused to fly like that kid, my mother would have just walloped my bottom and maybe get on the plane. Well, you can't do that, apparently, nowadays. As I say, kids have heard those two magic words, social services, or the other word, compensation. You know, I was hit by my parents. As a, I've heard of people taking their parents to court later in life. It's a bit strange. A couple of Valium should do the trick. Well, I think hypnosis. I think hypnosis, to be honest with you. It's quite clear, though, that you don't like him at all, do you? When you see his picture, you'll like him even less, I'm afraid. I don't know why. You just look at him and you think, I'm sorry. This is now silly. Let's go for some hypnosis. Let's go for training to get him onto planes. It must be overcome. Let's face it, we can put a man on the moon, for goodness sake. We must better get a kid on a plane. Ridiculous. News is next. It's LBC 97.3. I'm Steve Allen. News at five. On FM, online. Morning, four minutes past five. It's Monday morning. Oh, it's a bit gloomy out there. I love that word, gloomy. It's one of my favourite words. I put it the other day on one of my texts. I said, oh, it's awfully dark and gloomy out there. And then you get Bert from Mary Poppins go, there now, what you see is a doorway to a place of enchantment. So that's the weather forecast, which we'll give you in a moment. Still to come, the link between Mick Jagger and the Science Museum. Did I read correctly in one of the papers that the natural father of a 15-year-old said he was happy to shake the teacher's hand, says Paul in Manchesterford? Yes, I read that. I wasn't sure whether it was true. The sisters come out and said something. Can't shut this family up, can you? Um, She said... I mean, various people have gone on television programmes. This is the 30-year-old teacher who abducted the girl, who, you know, and it's because it's illegal. Whichever way you think about it, whichever way you think, but wait a minute, I see 14 and 13-year-olds getting drunk out on the street, pregnant at 12, and they appear to be in love. I'm, I don't know whether or not they are, because I don't know them. All I can tell you is that he obviously had some hold on her, and they decided to go. Perhaps it's exciting, isn't it, at 15? Perhaps it's exciting when you tell all your friends go, because all your friends would know about it, you can't keep it secret. Well, in fact, it turned out most of the school knew about this thing. So it was sort of going on, but it'll be funny, won't it? Funny... Not particularly ha-ha, I'm afraid. If in the future he comes out of prison, he could serve, what, three years, and then they decide to get married. Because he's going for a quickie divorce, according to the papers today, and she's been granted leave to go and visit him in prison. And presumably that's with her parents' blessing, because otherwise they'd just say, you're not going anywhere near him, what, are you mad? But quite clearly, you know what people are like. Let's face it, you've got a 12-year-old who won't, won't get on a plane in Abu Dhabi, and you've got a 15-year-old who wanders off with, with a teacher... But she can't be named for legal reasons. She's 16 now. I mean, thank God they were having protected sex, because that could be even worse, couldn't it? But anyway, uh, surely makes you wonder, Steve, says Paul, if it was even worth taking the whole case to court. Well, did you not think that the sentence was unduly harsh? 
Five and a half years. It's not like she was... You know, I could understand... When you look at Stuart Hall, who molested nine, ten and eleven-year-olds, and he gets 18 months, a 15-year-old having sex with a teacher... Oh, sounds horrendous when you say it, doesn't it? But she's 15. She was months away from her 16th birthday. What do you think they're doing? Do you think kids wait till they're 16? Oh, whoopee, 16, I can have sex. I don't think it works like that. Their hormones are all over the place from 14 upwards. They've got no idea where they are. Strangely, on the subject of psychics, though only loosely connected to the subject, I was listening to one of the old podcasts from 2009. In it, you and John Warrington were talking about a website that forecast who was going to pop their clogs that year. If proof were needed, what tosh it all is. One of the names mentioned was Clive Dunn, a whole four years out. It was a very interesting show for another reason. You were talking of your mum and dad, and mentioned the age your dad died, and then said that was your age next birthday. So like me, not really 39 then. Oh, and you broke the Dubai story over a year ago. Joe, I think, is having a bit of a laugh, hanging out in the mall with his friends there, as opposed to a street corner here. I know which option I would choose if I was his age, and it wouldn't be Manchesterford Arndale Centre. Yes, I mean, given the choice, you want to stay there. But if your parents have See, the trouble is, when you're 12, you don't understand what money is. You have no idea what money is. I never knew what my parents earned. I never knew what my parents earned. I just knew that in, in the latter years, I earned more money than my mother. I mean, how wrong can that be? But anyway, I did... And it's just the way it is. But you don't know. That's why at Christmas time, when they put up things on the television and they show kids all these lovely presents, and they put up, you know, £299. Kids don't know what £299 is. They've got no, they just think that if you've, if you've got a wallet and it's got cards in it, you can buy it. It's just that you're choosing to be particularly difficult because you're not buying it. So we don't understand. I never knew. It wasn't until I got to be much, much older that I realised that when my parents said to me... Um, you know, for Christmas, £25 is the maximum. That's what we can afford to spend on you, £25. So you had to think quite carefully what you wanted. So when I got a bicycle, it was a second-hand bicycle. All this would be familiar to loads of people over the age of 35. You know, when I wanted a tape recorder, it was it was an Elizabethan. It wasn't made in the Elizabethan period, but it was called Elizabethan. And that came in at under £25. Everything was second-hand because people had second-hand presents. When, when I got my second-hand bike, my father bought it and then painted it all up and cleaned it. And, lo- and it looked really good. It was I didn't care that it wasn't new. It didn't make any difference to me. It was just a bike. Just a bike. Nick says, made it through Ascot Week without putting to use the water cannon set up on my driveway. And the chav alarm is now back down to safe levels. Unfortunately, though, the smell from Ladies' Day lingers on. I went down the motorway on, was it Saturday? Saturday, to go to Costco. And halfway down, I hit traffic. And I suddenly realised, as I'm getting near Windsor, I thought, oh, it's Ascot. It's the Ascot traffic. And it is. And we had all the people... As uh, as I mentioned before at Waterloo Station, no photographs. So I'm sorry I forgot to put photographs up. It was it was too horrendous even by my standards to show you a lot of people wearing very inappropriate outfits. I mean, do some people look in the mirror before they actually go out? They really should do. They really should do. Rob says the child's been given into the child has been given into so much now he'll never fly again. Absolutely stupid to allow him to have had a, a choice in the first place. Parents tell children what to do, not the other way round. He will now have his parents wrapped around his finger forever. Uh, I am like you, a bored passenger. Taking off and landing, very exciting. The rest just dull, dull, dull. On one trip I made, we were taking off and in that position where you're soaring upwards. Child in front of me, as loud as you like, asked his mother, Are we going to meet Jesus now, Mummy? I bloody well hope not, said the stranger sitting next to me. But that, that's the bit I like. But then the, the moment the thing's up in the air and you've swallowed half a dozen times, 
That's it. You're then you're then stuck there for 11 hours, aren't you? And you sit there, and I, I looked out the window, if you're lucky enough to get a window seat, and I made sure I got my bottle of water, and then I just, I go to, I don't put my eye mask on, I'm not that naff, and I, and I don't take my shoes off. Occasionally I might take them off and waggle my toes, but you're not supposed to. You're supposed to keep your shoes on. I know they say put these socks on, but you're not, because your feet expand a little bit, so when you come to put your shoes back on again, they don't fit properly. So leave them on. You know, what, these people are, oh, I tell you, I'd say, you see them padding up and down the cabin, don't they? They don't want to get this sort of thing where their old body goes into shock or something. I don't know what it is. And, um, and you're sitting there and they're wandering up. And they've, got a, they've got a blanket around their shoulders like they're a refugee from a war-torn country. And they've gone back and they walk up and down and they stand. And some of them do little exercises. They're the ones who really annoy me. I could happily push them out the window, I'm afraid. And uh, they go up and down and they shuffle up and down in their socks. And then there's always the one person who decides in the middle of the blooming film to turn their lights on. So we all get flooded out with arc lights all over the place. We had an argument on a play month. I didn't, but there was a woman who refused to bring the window blind down so people could see the screens. And the stewardess said, could you put the blind down? No. Pull the blind down. No. In the end, the captain came out. I think he threatened to push her out the window. He said, you pull your blind down, OK? Well, we're offloading you, darling. And we'll do it mid-Atlantic. Don't really care. She pulled the blind down. Stupid people, honestly. Do get some daft people on flights, don't you? 84850stevenlbc.co.uk Yes, you're quite right, Chris and Camberley. It is true, and it was. I better tell you, hadn't I? When I went to the Science Museum yesterday, there is... Uh, um, they've got a special exhibition dedicated to the man who, who cracked codes. I can't remember his name now. Was it Turley? Turley. I think it was Turley. Anyway, and in, as part of this exhibition in the Science Museum, you just go upstairs, just to the right, just above the gift shop, uh, they've got three Enigma machines, the, the, the code-cracking machines. And one of them is owned by Mick Jagger. It's got a little card on it saying, loaned by Mick Jagger. Uh, it was used in the film Enigma with uh, Dougray Scott and Kate Winslet. He owns an Enigma machine. I wasn't aware that you could buy the things. They, they all look the same, and yet one is, a, one is a German one. One is a... Sorry, one was a... Um, we, we, I don't know where we got it from. It's got German connection. Anyway. And the other one, Mick Jagger, and then there's another one from the, from the first part. They look really complicated. How these people ever came up with this in the first place, I've got no idea. But when I looked at this Enigma... And it's worth, it's worth going just to see the Enigma machine. And this man, Tur- I'm sure his name was Turley, um, he was gay. He was born in, I think, the 1920s or something like that. But, of course, it was illegal. And what, he, what they offered him was, they said, you can um, either take... Don't ask me how this happens, but they, they, they tell you the story there. Female hormone tablets. So he took... Fem- what they thought that was going to do, I've got no idea. So assuming that it's a female hormone tablet, it must make him fancy men even more. Anyway, they were a bit stupid in those days. And they've got a, a bottle of these tablets in there, in a, in a glass case. And they, uh, for some reason, it, it affected his brain, as indeed you would expect it would. And so he became very depressed. And I think, although we're not entirely convinced, he was either murdered with cyanide or he took his own life. Because they could smell almonds in his body. When they had the autopsy in his brain, they could smell almonds. And that's the sign of cyanide. Also, he'd just eaten an apple. And they're saying, now, whether or not it was true, I don't know. you're, You're left to make up your own mind. Either somebody forced cyanide into him and then made him eat the apple, or the cyanide was in the apple because they found apple. And they said that he might have eaten the apple 
to take away the taste of the cyanide. Either way, he was dead at something like 42. Way too young. But to give somebody female hormone tablets, I thought it was the stupidest thing ever. But they, they seem to try most things to cure homosexuality. Can you imagine now? They'd have you in court before you could even sort of say NHS. And they're very, very fast indeed. 14 minutes past five is the time. It's Steve Allen's early breakfast. We'll still keep you... Up to speed this morning with the situation for Nelson Mandela, critically ill. His condition suddenly deteriorated. He's not opened his eyes now for a few days and uh, he's become a bit unresponsive. But they're doing everything that they can. Now, whether or not there are those people, there's a, they're, they're a little bit split in South Africa, saying, let's just let him pass away, that there has been talk that the family are going to withhold medication. I don't know what they're going to do at the moment. If he's really, really tired, I think this, this man has got so much fighting spirit... I think he's fighting it. I think he's fighting it. And they do say, at the end of your life, you've got to want to go. I know it sounds a ridiculous thing to say, but I remember when... Um, I can only equate it to our, our family. That I, I remember saying to the nurses about my mother, and they said, she's, just tell her to let go. It was always like sort of clinging onto a rope or something. Just tell her to let go, because people fight it. And they say, just tell her to let go. I don't know what letting go means. To this day, I don't know what that means. If somebody's lying there and they can hear you, because that's the last sense that goes, and they say, just let go, and then, apparently, it happens. But we'll, uh, we'll keep you up to speed with Nelson Mandela here on LBC 97.3. News headlines with Dan Whitehead. A former undercover police officer is claiming he was told... Look at the team at seven, the latest on Nelson Mandela's condition, plus... What would you, uh, what would make a 28-year-old woman want to end her life? And would you mind if your council spied on you from the sky in the name of catching illegal immigrants? One council near London, Slough, I believe, have sent up a spy plane uh, to find out all these... They're, they're living in little shacks, living all over the place. Southall is absolutely awash with these shacks where uh, people have illegally set up shelters in the back of their garden and they're renting them out to people. Totally illegally, of course. Uh, looking at the papers today, British barrister Patricia Jeanette, Baroness Scotland of, uh, I think it's Ashill, uh, who served many ministerial positions within the UK government, most notably as the Attorney General for England and Wales and Advocate General for Northern Ireland. So, very interesting. It's interesting. One man is actually going to complain about the spy plane saying here it's a gross invasion of privacy. These people are illegal. These people are illegal. They're either riding these little pedalo bikes up and down town. They're illegal. 99% of those, these people, are they're taking in money, not paying any cash. Oh, the, go the good news, a tax. The good news is that Starbucks have finally agreed to pay a little bit of tax. And they've said they're going to pay £5 million. This on a turner is something like a billion or something. And, um, and then they're going to pay another £5 million later in the year. They haven't paid anything since 2009. But they're, and they're going to sort themselves out as a company, ladies and gentlemen. That's good news, isn't it? They're going to sort themselves out and shops that aren't profitable because they want to turn themselves into a profitable company. It's the biggest load of baloney you've ever heard in your life. It's like smoke and mirrors, isn't it? Like smoke and mirrors. How can this place that opens up, you know, one shop about every five seconds, as far as I'm concerned, not be making a profit? How is it? I mean, surely, I mean, either they're the biggest buffoons in history or something needs to be looked at. This is the government clamping down. So they've agreed to pay us £10 million on a turnover of God knows what. But they don't make profit because what they do is they sell their own coffee. It's, it's, so, com it's so confusing. It's a minefield out there. It's all legal, but it's just, it's, as far as I'm concerned, it's, it's, it's tax evasion. It must be. You know, the shops aren't profitable. We'll close them down then. Pay tax like the rest of us little people out here. We all pay tax. We don't necessarily want to pay tax. 
But we do. My late grandmother, says Robin, once flew to New York with us but refused to use the loo because it had no curtains. I don't know if she was expecting to look in at 40,000 feet, but either way, she sat there with her legs crossed for the whole flight. Good for her. Good for her. Um, and uh, oh, I must thank uh, Graham at Cheney's the other day. We got all this, this fruit. In. Well, I'll tell you, you were the most popular person in the office. And we had all this fruit in. We had all those donut peaches, strawberries, raspberries. Oh, dear, I'll tell you. It's like a veritable farmer's market. So I hope all is well at Western International this morning. Uh, Neil says there's a Houdini poster up for sale this week if you fancy treating yourself. Uh, hi to all the lovely Facebook. He said, after Tower Bridge in a moment. Let's have a quick look at this uh, Houdini poster. Do I like Oh, that'll go for a lot of money. Oh, I wouldn't even like to imagine. Is it a proper poster, you think? This is at Christie's in South Ken. There's no um, Houdini at an Argyle theatre. The Argyle Theatre. I wonder what that would go for. I wouldn't like to imagine, actually. It could go for could go for thousands. There are people who, who collect Houdini memorabilia. I don't think I've got the money for it, I'm afraid. <laughs> I'm pretty certain I haven't got the money. Uh, the codebreaker of the Enigma machine was Alan Turing. You must go to the... I mean, I urge you. It's free to go to the Science Museum. Do yourself, If you're not doing anything today, if you're off work or you're not working or you're looking for something different to do, go and do the museums. I promise you, you won't be disappointed. You can have a cup of tea there. Or failing that, you can even take your own tea. Go and have a look at, in the Science Museum, the exhibit to the Codebreakers. And they've, they've got the actual computer there, a section of it that he designed. And you think to yourself, what brain could ever design this? Even looking at the Enigma machines, you look at them and you think, how did you ever work that out? How was it possible? But there were thousands of them who were working on these machines and they were, and they were hoping to... Um, to sort of unravel everything the Germans did, and so we, we had these machines. But, then, but they, they come up for sale at auctions every so often. <laughs> Jamie says, morning from Hong Kong, what really gets me going about flights are real no-nos. When you're sitting in the centre aisle, right up front, where they flip the big screen up for everybody to watch a movie, there are two toilets, one each side of the plane, so one is busy and they assume they can walk through the across the four people sitting down to access the other toilet, and the people who walk around the plane and push those blanket-socked refugees out of the way for not watching the movie. Yes, I, mean, I just hate people who stand there in line for the toilet. And they said, so can you go and stand somewhere else? Go and stand somewhere else. It's a toilet. Open the window, have a wee out the window. Make it marginally more interesting for us all. <laughs> Weather for today. I know you want to know. Dry and cloudy with the odd sunny spell. Very gloomy at the moment, I'm afraid. It's been very, it was a bit mixed over the weekend, wasn't it, really? Uh, currently 17 degrees. No, sorry, it's not. It's currently 12. That freaked you out. It's going to climb to 17 degrees later on. Sunset is at 9.21 tonight, clear and mild. Good chance of prolonged sunny spells. High 20 degrees. Further three-day forecast. Sunny and warm on Wednesday. So you get sunny spells tomorrow. Wednesday, sunny and warm. Thursday, mix of cloud and sunny spells. And Friday, overcast. <laughs> Who cares? Sounds good this week, doesn't it? Sounds very good. Over in Alicante, things were not looking too good, I'm afraid. The Yorkshire Tavern Pub were having one of their little friendly games of bingo. And they offer little prizes like a tin of biscuits or something like that. Anyway, they got swooped on by, by the police. It's illegal, apparently, to have bingo. So they all get arrested. 30 of them were quizzed for four hours. 12 police swooped on this little bingo thing. A two-week stakeout, ladies and gentlemen, by the police in Ali... Uh, sorry, not Alicante. I do beg your pardon. The police in Alicante are probably... Uh, probably my words. Albufera. No, maybe so bright over there. Maybe police a little bit stupid, bit dim. So they stalk them, and they posed as customers, the police, posed as customers, to find out 
what they were doing. They were playing bingo, like, you know, Brits play bingo. It's a bit naff and chavvy, and looking at these people here, they are all very naff and very chavvy. But they were playing bingo for a tin of biscuits and some nuts or something, and the police swooped on them. Uh, the, the owner of the bar... Uh, Marianne, whose uh, husband is Portuguese, says, we took about 50 euros from customers to cover the cost of prizes. We didn't make any profit. And it was only the third week I recognised the plainclothes policeman coming in watching. Perhaps they're a bit funny over there. I don't, perhaps they don't know what bingo is. I don't know. Says, why didn't they just have a quiet word first? Anyway, Gerald Platt from Bicester uh, won the biscuits and the chocolate. So uh, that was very exciting, wasn't it? Uh, here is uh, devastated Helen Flanagan in all the papers again today. Poor old dreary Heliga- Helen, Heligan? Helen, not, not the brightest penny in the box or the sharpest knife, but just, just a bit dreary. Back on the old fags again. And now it turns out that her boyfriend, Scott Sinclair, who sounds like a drag queen, ladies and gentlemen, the Scott Sinclair Show. Hello, everybody. <laughs> and uh, apparently he was... Uh, Sending flirty texts to some TV presenter. She's not a TV presenter. This is this attention seat. You'll know her name. She's called Donatella Paniatu. And she, she turned up on television years ago. She's, qu- she's so unattractive, it's just embarrassing. Going out with her friends, spending lots of money on T-shirts. She's just a little show-off. She could never be described as a TV presenter or attractive. So why he's been sending texts, I've got no idea. Donatella has assisted to girlfriend. She would never have sex with Scott. That's a relief for everybody. I should imagine he probably thinks the same about you, darling. Honestly, this dreary old baggage has picked up a few times in the newspapers over the years and never actually made anything of herself, apart from showing off to her silly little friends, who obviously put up with this ridiculous joke. Uh, 84850, uk. Another one there? Uh, wait a minute, let's try and... I get so confused on these computers now. A lot of you, you don't like this kid in Dubai at all. <laughs> I feel a bit worried, actually. We're starting a campaign. Um, Terry and Stevenage says it was called Chemical Neutring and the name was Turin. He was a genius. Alan Turin. Yes. Hannah says if the boy who went fly started off on holiday in Dubai, how did he get there? I don't know. I presume he went on a plane. Given the money spent on him so far, put him in a car and drive him home. Uh, somebody says, uh, see a lot of people saying, how did he get to Dubai? Well, he didn't have, apparently have a fear of flying when he went out to Dubai in the first place. He, but he's sort of developed it. But I think he's developed it. And he's now got himself into this psychosomatic situation whereby he believes that he's got this illness. So he bursts into tears. And it's him, he's 12. He's a big 12. He's a big crybaby 12. And he obviously cries and then he's saying, oh, all right, we won't put you on the plate, don't worry. Because he doesn't want to leave his friends. He's got friends there. Still to come, gadget giveaway for today. And um, I'll tell you what it is. Uh, it's the other side of the news, because Jonathan Harris from Birmingham got himself the Nike Plus Fuel Band. You'll have great fun with that. Great fun with that. You really will. And so I hope it reaches you uh, at some point this week. Today, it's a Gru... A Gru... I can't even speak now. A Google Chromebook laptop. A Google Chromebook laptop. I'll tell you how you get it in a moment. It's got cloud storage, light and easily transportable. You want it. You can have it. You can get it on this programme. Details coming up after the news, which is next at 5.30. Morning, 28 minutes to 6. Steve Allen's early breakfast on LBC 97.3. The worst dressed group and the most unattractive group in the world are little minx. Mix. And uh, here they are, 
and some special poor old uh, Jesse Nelson wearing her underwear. I mean, God knows, Lana, you need to have a word with a stylist. I mean, you just look like a complete turkey. What is the matter with you? I mean, the whole group is unattractive. It's not their fault. They must have, they must have really gone out of their way to find four unattractive people to put in a group. I mean, unless you're going to the Jeremy Kyle show and you're having a quick word with some of the staff back there. Have you got any toothless old hags we can put on stage and call them Little Mix? Mix. Um, incidentally, uh, can I offer some advice to you? I know that this is the time of year when many of you get your Wellingtons out and your little tent and you trek down and you go to Glastonbury. 135,000 of you will arrive in Glastonbury this week. More than 30% will be robbed blind on the site. It happens every year. Not only um, it, will it ruin your festival experience, but unfortunately not only will people steal from your tent... I'm sure there are people who book to go to Glastonbury purely to thieve. Purely to thieve. So my advice is, and the advice, you know, of the insurers as well, 63% of people take a digital camera or a video camera. 50% of people take a smartphone. 13% take a laptop or a tablet. And 6% bring hair straighteners. Hardly worth it in the middle of a blooming field, but there you go. My advice is don't take anything. If you, if you, many people... Uh, 13% of people have been robbed whilst they were sleeping. 47% of people have, have had stuff stolen from their tent. And I think one-fifth of victims have had their cars broken into. I mean, quite clearly, the security is non-existent. But when there's people wandering around and there are thousands of people, my advice is don't take anything because you will be robbed. It will be you. So if you're going down there, you know, because most people take drink, alcohol... They're looking for, for that kind of thing. And there are people down there who will steal from you at Glastonbury. Shameful, isn't it, really, when you think it's supposed to be a peaceful festival. But a lot of people go on the rob. They will steal from your tent. So don't take anything. It's like advising people at the Notting Hill Carnival. Don't take flashy jewellery. Don't take loads of money. Don't do this. Just act with common sense. But don't take a digital camera. If you're going to take a phone, take a cheap phone. Go and buy a pay-as-you-go thing for 20 quid or, or whatever else. Probably get one for free, I should imagine, nowadays. But don't take anything expensive. People will, will rob you. We came, we, I drove through Knightsbridge the other day, and as I came up a side street, this couple were running hell for leather on the other side of the road. And we both said they'd robbed somebody. That's what we both said. As we turned the corner, they were counting all this money. They had bundles of money. Now, where they robbed it from, I've got no idea. But I'm pretty certain when you see people running, you know that they're running away from somebody. But they got the money. Anyway, luckily I could identify the woman was fat as a house. Enormous. And, uh, and the bloke just looked a bit of a thug, I'm afraid. So, today, on the Gadget Giveaway, it's the Google Chromebook laptop. Your chance to get your hands on it at 6.30 this morning. Under the hour now, under the hour. It's from Samsung. It's got cloud storage. It's light. It's easily transportable. You can check out Alan Turing. You can find everything out. All the information, all the things we talk about on the programme, you can find out on this fantastic laptop. The Google Chromebook laptop can be yours if you know the answer to this question. Which brand has the advertising slogan, Eat Fresh? Which brand has the advertising slogan, Eat Fresh? Text the word gadget, followed by your answer, and send it to 84850. Text costs £1.50. 
plus your standard network rate. If you text after the closing time, you won't be entered, but you may still be charged. We play across the LBC network. Full terms and conditions online at lbc.co.uk. Good luck, because that's a really, really nice prize this morning. The Google Chromebook laptop. And it can be yours. You just need to tell me which brand, and I've still not discovered the answer, has the advertising slogan, Eat Fresh. So it's Gadget, then your answer, and then send it to 84850. Before 6.30, so you've got just under the hour for today. It'll cost £1.50, plus your standard network rate. If you text after the closing time of 6.30, you won't be entered, but there's a chance you could still be charged. We play across the LBC network, and the terms and conditions online at lbc.co.uk. If you're listening in the lift this morning, all very exciting, all very, very exciting. There's a lovely picture of a dynamo taking a, a magical mystery tour the other day. Lots of nice tributes as well to Michael Winner. I was invited down by Geraldine. And I didn't go because I thought it was a, a private moment for her. And uh, Michael died, you know, he died in January. It doesn't seem possible, does it? Seems like yesterday to me. But they were all there. Sir Roger Moore, Sir Michael Caine and uh, Sir Michael Parkinson and Geraldine, of course. There were loads of other people there as well. I think Scylla Black was there. And the un- they unveiled a-, a plaque at the National Police Memorial in St James's Park. So I hope a, a nice time was had. But everybody's got their stories of Michael Winner. At LBC, we have a number of stories of Michael Winner. When in Hammersmith, he came in, he was, he was due to be interviewed by Peter Dealey. And he turned up in his car, he came in, and uh, and they said, uh, you know, we, we'll, we'll be with you very, very shortly. So he sat there for another minute, and they went, I'm not sitting here. And so he got, he got up and walked out. That was Michael Winner. We, we had him for in conversation. I'm not, I'm not even going to ask Paul in Manchester to say when was the date of that one. Seeing as the poor boy has to has to go for these things all the time. Eight four eight five zero. Steve at lbc dot co dot uk. We'll try and weave as much as we can into the program this morning. It's amazing how many people know about Alan Turing. You must go to the go to the, the science museum. You must really go because it's such a a good museum and the exhibition is so good. And of course, nobody knows who he who he is really. Uh, St- Steve Helen Flanagan's back on the fags. Could I care less? Mm, let me have a think. Nope, don't care at all. I know, I couldn't care less either. She could fall off the top of Beachy Head, I wouldn't care. Wouldn't make any difference at all to me. Ridiculous. I just think that the poor girl going out, she doesn't know where she is, does she? She doesn't know, head or whatever. Uh, Diana says, my father was in the intelligence corps during the war, posted in the Azores. He was intercepting secret messages from the Germans, read the U-boats, attempting to cross the Atlantic. His messages were sent on to Bletchley, where they decoded using Enigma. Yes, we also have a connection in our family. Not to Bletchley, sadly. I wish we did. But my father used to run the Special Forces Club in Knightsbridge, which is uh, a club for Britain's secret agents. Everybody knows where the building is, because we used to live at the back of it. Uh, but it was, it was very, only for a short time before he died, sadly. But uh, that's what he used to do. And uh, it's still in existence. They've, they've had a few ups and downs, I think. Because I mentioned to somebody who... Somebody who came in once. Who the dickens was it? Was it Bear Grylls? Was it Bear Grylls? And I said about that. And he, he seemed in a bit of disbelief as to whether my father did actually run it. And I said, yes, he did. I said, but he was only there for a short while before he, uh, he collapsed and died one evening. But we go, do you think he's too discreet? Do you think he's a spy? Because spies look so ordinary. But my father used to tell me of all the, uh, the things that they would bring into the, into the club room and that they'd be having drinks and everything else. I can't, I'm, obviously I can't because I'm bound to secrecy and I can't tell you anything else. But uh, came with a nice flat as well. Denise went out and on holiday, lovely, with a photographer, which is great, and her little child called Betsy. I don't know, I think Betsy's such a twee name, don't you? I'm sure it's quite nice, but you think Betsy Boo, don't you? Was that Betty Boo? 
Is that one of um, Jonathan Ross's kids? Is that is that is that the gay one, Betty Boo? I can't remember actually. I've lost track in there. Things. Or was it? Is it Huggy Bear? Is that one of Jamie Oliver's? I can't remember. That's a very funny thing about Jamie Oliver in one of the papers there. Do you know he plays drums? Do you know he plays drums? And also, he did something which we've all wanted to do. He, um, he had um, an internet troll writing things about him. He said, he said, to be honest with you, he said, it doesn't really bother me. He said, I just kind of left it to one side. He said, but then it, it just got to me. He said, so I tracked him down. I found out his name, his address, his family and everything. It turns out he knew somebody who was one of his suppliers or something like that. He said, and I confronted him. He said, and then he apologised. I said, they always do. They always apologise because they're little girls. They're, they're pathetic creatures. They don't have a life of their own. So they send abusive things to people and uh, they get caught out. We had a boxer, didn't we? Who said, fun who he is. I want to know who this bloke is. I'm going to go round. He went round there. And this thing was like a frightened little schoolgirl. And they dragged him on television. He was, in, he was a more cowardly on the television, I'm afraid. Even more. Uh, Sean, no, they didn't. That's an apocryphal story, so I won't repeat it on the uh, Apple logo. No, I'm not going to say it, because it's an apocryphal story. It's, it's not... Steve Jobs has already denied it. Anyway, uh, there is also the, pa- the, uh, the story that featured in the paper over the weekend about an Egyptian statue which apparently keeps turning. It's a load of old bunkum, I'm afraid. No statue turns. OK, let's try and get this, in, you know, into reality. Come back into the real world, you're back in the room, OK? Here we go. They say, is this a sign that there is a curse of the pharaohs? No, there's no curse of the pharaohs. The relic of the god of death found inside a mummy's tomb starts spinning on its own. TV physicist Brian Cox. Aren't you just bored with him, I'm afraid? Among the experts being consulted on the mystery, but some now believe there could be a spiritual explanation. It's been moving. It's, uh, but whilst nobody watches it, it's a 10-inch tall relic, an offering to the Egyptian god Osiris, found in a mummy's tomb. It's been at the Manchester Museum for 80 years. For 80 years, it's not turned. How funny it should start doing now, because nobody's ever heard of the Manchester Museum. And so they've got an Egyptologist, somebody called Campbell Price. He says, and it appears to be turning on its own. Ooh, spooky, Campbell, spooky. No, it doesn't. What a load of old hooey it really is. It's like, I remember going to the British Museum years ago because there is a mummy with ginger hair that is growing. The gin- well, I mean, if it was really growing, it'd be sort of down to its... Whatever's left of its body, and they've got lots of they've got lots of mummies in the British Museum. I'm not sure. I'm in two minds over mummies in museums because that's grave robbing. I know that you know we wouldn't have found these things and had Carter and what's it uh, not found Tutankhamun's tomb. We wouldn't have seen the death mask and we wouldn't have been so so enraptured with anything to do with Tutankhamun. I mean, it's just it fascinates people that they they crawl through. It's not been grave robbed. And then they eventually manage to lift off this lid, and there is the first mask. And then when they take that off, there is this fantastic mask, which I think is in the Museum of Cairo at the moment. Oh, the good news is, sorry, I'm just thinking, I was looking at some images on the television of all the, the baby stuff that's going online to celebrate the arrival of the new royal baby. And they've got everything. They've got little sort of onesies with a soldier. I mean, Highgrove have got tractor baby shoes... I mean, it's really become quite tacky, I'm afraid. Not, not that I'm at all surprised that the royal family would become tacky. Uh, they've got China Royal Baby Mugs by Hudson and Middleton, and they're like 30 quid or something, and plates, and it's just tacky. I'm sorry. You know, and plates with God Bless Our Queen and the royal... Oh, oh dear me. And believe you me, I'm a royalist. Even I think this is just tacky. 
Very, very tacky. Um, so I was just about to read that funny story there. <laughs> I've changed my mind because it was a little bit too rude for this time of the morning. Oh, Emma Bun- I think You have to read the Emma Bunton thing on people are sick of nasty telly judges because I think she's wrong. I think people love, the, you know, the bitchier they are and the ruder they are, the better they like them. Who wants some mamby-pamby sitting there going, oh, you're really good, I really like you. I don't, I don't like that kind of thing. I like them when they've got an edge to them. Makes it far more interesting. Uh, Nelson Mandela in all the papers today. He's holding on. He's holding on. Whichever way you look at it, he's not opened his eyes for a few days. He appears to be unresponsive, so he's obviously in some sort of state in his mind. Uh, then you've got the supermoon. Did you see the supermoon the other day? I thought we were being taken over by aliens. I thought, woo, what that? What with that and crop, crop circles and everything else. Um, more on the the teacher. This is uh, Jeremy Forrest, who faced being beaten at a tougher prison. Why? For what? I, mean, I don't understand. And Victoria Beckham smiling. Now you know why she doesn't. She looks evil when she smiles. Come here, Clary. She's a little bit like that. Like, oh, scary woman. Please don't smile ever again. We don't care now. Try and look mean and moody because the smile just makes you look slightly odd. Okay? Quarter to six. (laughs) These headlines with Dan Whitehead. Former undercover Met Police officer claims he was part of Alan. Morning. Maybe uh, Alan Turing's a bit uh, better known in Manchesterford. We've even a statue in a road named after him. Apparently the Apple logo is in tribute to him. Well, that was the apocryphal story, but Steve Jobs denied that. Why would you, you know, have an Apple logo for something that killed somebody? So, wouldn't really. Uh, Johnny says, met a woman from Glastonbury. They suffer the festival as it generates a lot of cash. Funniest thing is the amount of designer Wellington boots left behind. Actually, the weather this year might actually be good. Normally it's a bloodbath, isn't it? For sort of mud, sorry, mud bath, not bloodbath. It's a mud bath. But just be careful. If you're going... If you're going, just be very, very careful because there is a chance, as I said before, that you could get robbed. And lots of people, I, even a friend of mine went down there. I mean, he's going to get stuff stolen from his tent. Because when you leave your tents and you go down to sort of watch the bands playing, then, you know, people go round the tents. I don't know why other people don't look out for them. Why can't they have security there? They make enough blooming money, for goodness sake. I get quite upset with things like that. Hate it. The idea of people pinching anything. Uh, Johnny says, I wonder if Kate Middleton's unknown sister will make sure she's seen as the royal birth approaches. She apparently has written a novel. Stop giggling, he said. Oh, I know, isn't she? Got- a- they're using a-, a look-alike Pippa in some adverts to recreate things. I mean, she's so boring, so dreary, I'm afraid. But uh, the family do love the publicity. But I don't care, because I like Kate. I think she's nice. Nice. Uh, the codebreaker's name was Alan Turing. It was a centenary of his birthday the other year. He killed himself with an apple laced with cyanide. His only crime, says Paul, was he was gay. Now in more enlightened times, rightly celebrated as one of the people who altered the outcome of World War II. There's a statue of him. This is where it is. Directly in front of his old lab at the edge of the gay village on Sackville Street. It's in the park opposite the Rembrandt pub. Google Alan Turing statue. And you'll see him sat on the bench, apple in hand. We also have Alan Turing Way, opposite the Commonwealth Games Stadium, now home of Manchester City Football Club. Actually, talking of Commonwealth, down the end of Kensington High Street in London, the Commonwealth Centre appears to have been dwarfed by this huge building they're putting up. Everywhere you go, this huge building, the skyline of London changes almost on a daily basis. As I drive out of London, if ever I'm going out, I look at it, I keep thinking, it keeps changing. I came into town on Friday for lunch. Oh, never again. Well, I mean, not never again coming into town for lunch, because that was really nice. Uh, But driving in, I should have taken the train. It took forever. 
I, I got caught up with all the traffic through Knightsbridge. I got caught up with all the... Tra- everywhere there was traffic. Down on Constitutional Hill, going down uh, to the Mall. We sat there for ten minutes, not going anywhere, while soldiers marched across the road. And then there were thousands of people. Thousands of people. All over the place. And I thought, oh. Then I drove around trying to find the parking space. In there, I was so stressed. I try not to get stressed in the car. Uh, I've just watered my hanging baskets and plants, says uh, Ludez. She says, uh, what do you make of this statue? Hocus Pocus or a ruse to get us to go and see it? Well, as I've just said a moment ago, 80 years it's not moved, and all of a sudden it started moving. It's a pile of old rubbish, I'm afraid. It's absolute garbage. And it's, it's to actually make, uh, I think, people uh, go to the museum. So, you know, just to see if it turns, you know, but you will get balmy people who go up there. You know what they're like. Pe- people are like that. They can't help it. It's just people are fascinated by anything like that. But as I said before, 80 years it's been there and now all of a sudden it started turning. I don't think so. Like these sort of donut things in America. It's just PR puff, isn't it? Uh, well done to Gary. Had a very enjoyable weekend. His first river swim. <laughs> Triathlon at Marlow. The weather was nice. Came fourth in my age group. Which age group are you in now? And 40th overall out of the 160 in my wave. So very happy. Well done. Anyway, he said, can I wish the lovely Jan a very happy birthday? Certainly can. Happy birthday, Jan. Have a lovely, lovely day. Young Noreen says, uh, oh, it's Jan in Hornchurch. Very happy birthday from all her friends. We love Jan in Hornchurch. I looked at the photographs of the Duke of Northumberland's daughter's wedding to Thomas Van uh, Straubensee. Straubensee. Uh, Prince William was best man. Eugenie was there. No sign of Beatrice, but she may have been hiding from the camera. <laughs> right. Lovely Catherine had pulled out due to the fact the baby's due very soon. I doubt the baby will be called Harper North. Waynetta. <laughs> she says, when will summer come? I think everybody's fed up with this weather. Noreen, this is the worst weather. As somebody said to me on Sunday, we were walking around Regent's Park, and it was, a, it was miserable and overcast, and it didn't... Little, no, we didn't have any rain. It rained about 12 o'clock, I think, briefly. And uh, a friend of mine said to me, he said, when, when summer? I said, we've had it. That was last... You might get a few days this week where it's quite good, but with a temperature of, you know, 17 degrees today, it's not exactly worth shouting about, is it? But tourists everywhere. Hello. We love tourists in London. We really do. We want your money. Please give it to us as quickly as possible. I see that Alan Titchmarsh has suggested that older women TV presenters shouldn't whinge about lack of work because he said that when they're younger, they actually do better than the men. Uh, Miriam O'Reilly... The sacked country file presenter who won an age discrimination case against the BBC says Titchmarsh's remarks made her angry, said he should know better. She's becoming rent-a-quote, isn't she, for sort of people of a certain age who've been dropped from somewhere. But he's, he was in his 30s when his television career took off, but he's continued to win regular presenting roles into his 60s. I like him. What you see with Alan Titchmarsh is what you get. There's no airs, no graces at all. He's, he's, he's straight down the line. His wife's lovely, too. He says men in television tend to last a bit longer at the end of their careers, but it's women who make hay at the beginning. They don't complain in the early days when they're disporting themselves on sports cars. I'd like to see a mix of all ages on TV and wish there could be less whinging about it. Miss O'Reilly rejected his comments as another example of the sexism faced by older women working in the television industry. She said, what on earth is he talking about? We're not whinging. We have to be vocal to make things change. So there you go. I'm still working as a journalist, she says, but I'm not given the opportunity to appear on screen. I can work as a producer because people are then not aware that I'm involved. Um, oh, see, I'm in two minds over that. I think it, it's based on, you know, I don't think you should put somebody on television just because they're old. 
It's like the reason John McCreary is old and has been is because he's stupid. And we've had enough of that kind of buffoonery on the television presenting racing. We want, we want Claire. We want Claire to do it because she knows what she's talking about. They had some dreadful people during Ascot Week. Did, um, they really were, they were third rate. And I'm afraid during our free podcast this morning, I'm afraid Kate Humble's come in for it with the TV critics saying this live programme at the Heathrow. What is it with the BBC or these people about live programmes when Kate Humble can't present for Toffee? She's a lovely person and she's very good. But on live television, she's out of her depth. It's not because she's old. She's just not very good. I remember seeing Miriam O'Reilly on the thing. I didn't care about the fact she was old. That didn't make any difference to me at all. It's the fact she, I didn't think she was that good. That's why, you know, people say, oh, I think I'd be a presenter. You see them on the reality shows. I think I'd be a presenter. And you go, but, but what do you think being a presenter is? It doesn't matter whether it's radio or whether it's television or, you know, standing up doing after dinner speaking. You know, it's, it's not that easy. We just make it appear easy and effortless. Because it is, for some people. It's like some people could juggle. If I sat there with three balls in my hand, you know, till I lived to be 37, I mean, I couldn't juggle with them. I've tried every which way. I've tried oranges, I've tried foam, but I've tried everything. I can't do it. Some people have an ability, and they're very clever. I'm not one of them, I'm afraid. So it, it kind of sort of upsets me. So it isn't the fact that somebody's old, it's whether or not people think they're going to get an audience on television, and that's what it's about. It is about getting a, an audience and I'm afraid, I don't want somebody to just put on... T- Sometimes I look at people on television and I think, oh, you should have been pensioned off years ago. They're only keeping you out of sympathy. <laughs> it's me being rude again. I don't care. Uh, you can drive back from Dubai. My father-in-law's done it. Steve. Took about a week, so this family had no excuse. Excuse. Catherine's in Qatar, your biggest Middle Eastern fan. How lovely. Yes, you said, this is the... The young 12-year-old who's now worked himself up into such a situation that he can't get on a plane because he cries. His father's running out of money. They've had to downscale to a little tiny apartment with no pool. And you can imagine what the heat is like in Dubai, can't you? I mean, the heat must be absolutely dreadful. If you're living in a little apartment and he hasn't got any money and they're running out, just drag this kid onto the plane, sit him down and say, shut up. But I think he likes being with his friends and he doesn't want to come back to this country. I suppose he thinks it's, uh, you know, best place to be. So he's got himself, I'm afraid, into this, into this situation of which there is, there is no way out. I'm afraid. Nice to have you, company. Oh, apparently, midday today is when you when you book a holiday. Twelve oh one on a Monday is when you book a holiday. I suppose you sit down, you think, you know, should I book a holiday? And you faff around, and the girlfriend, wife, boyfriend, whoever it is, mother-in-law, sit. Well, that's not mother-in-law. And you sit down, you go right. Where should we go on holiday? So you sit down with the brochures, and then you go through. You go, let's go there. The Hotel Las Playas sounds lovely, doesn't it? And it's all-inclusive, and they do English food. Let's go there, because that's the whole point of going abroad, to eat English food. You know, if you can't get a good cooked bread... I mean, the very idea of going abroad and eating foreign, I mean, fills most of you with horror. So, should, should we have some... We, we, what did we have last night? We had some paella. That was very nice, indeed. We had some paella, but we had it with chips, because it tastes better with chips. And a good bit of old... Uh, that old tomato ketchup stuff. And just down the road, they do a lovely fry-up with a little hotel anglais. And they do a fry up there, because we, we can't touch that Spanish muck. It's horrible, honestly. They all smell of garlic. It's awful. News at six coming up very, very short. The Brits on holiday. Don't you just love us? We're great. Chips out. Chips with everything. Chips with that, yep. Breakfast, yep. Lunch, yep. Tea, everything. Even mid-morning snack. On FM, online and dip with Steve Allen. Morning, five past six. It's LBC, 97.3. Steve Allen's early breakfast. You're very welcome. Trust your weekend went well. The best of the weather you're going to get is this weekend. Over this week, 17 degrees today. Sunny bits in between. It'll be a little bit overcast, a bit sunny. It's kind of 
the weather that we've come to expect in this country. I was just looking at the history of royal babies as we're about to have another one, and having told you, I thought all the all the merchandise that they're turning out from Highgrove just looks tacky. It's just it's just it's a cash cow, isn't it, for the royal family? I'd like it is for everywhere. Having been round the museums yesterday, the biggest thing in the museum is the gift shop. And the cafes, and they, they look very good. The cafes have improved so much in all the museums. And you could take your own food in, they're, they're not worried about that. They're really not. You could sit at the tables and eat your own food, which is, which is normally, you know, they, I think Glastonbury, they confiscate stuff, don't they? People taking things in. No, you can't have that, I know. But, uh, just be careful. Anyway, looking at the history of royal babies, apparently when Henry VIII was uh, a baby, he had two official cradle rockers. Uh, one was um, Margaret Droughton. She was paid £3 a year. £3 a year to rock his cradle. And his wet nurse, Anne Oxenbridge, got £10 a year. And very interesting. Here's a little-known fact. You'll dig this up years later. Henry VIII didn't attend his daughter Elizabeth's christening. It was a very lavish affair. But in 2007, they found her christening gown at the back of a cupboard at Sudley Castle in Gloucestershire. They actually found... I mean, how would you... It's got a label sewn in. H.R.H. Elizabeth. Uh, Also, uh, Queen Anne, who died in 1714, had 18 pregnancies. 18. Only one of her children survived infancy, Prince William. Victoria... Victoria had been breastfed, but refused to do so to her nine children. She supervised their bath time, but complained of the frog-like action of babies and said that even the prettiest was frightful when undressed. But she was a bit odd, wasn't she, poor old Queen Victoria? She was off with the pixies, I'm afraid. Uh, Elizabeth II, born by caesarean section. Princess Diana gave birth to William after 16 hours of labour. She'd be so pleased, wouldn't she, if, if, she, was, uh, if she was alive now? She didn't use any pain relief, 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 but she sucked on an ice cube, apparently, to stay cool and hydrated. Uh, the Queen gave birth to Prince Andrew in 1960 and Prince Edward in 64. As babies, she kept her children in a mahogany crib in her office while she worked. Wow. And Princess Anne was born August 15th, 1950. Rationing was still in force. When her father went to complete the birth certificate, he was given his daughter's identity card, ration book and bottles of cod liver oil. <laughs> I noticed that uh, but the cravings that Princess Diana had, it was bacon sandwiches. Bake. Everybody has different cravings. I never asked my mother what craving she had when I was born. Uh, the Queen's husband, the Duke of Edinburgh, was born on a kitchen table in a villa in Corfu. And when Prince Charles was born, you might remember this one, some of you, uh, the water in Trafalgar Square's fountains was coloured blue in celebration. They put a blue colouring in there, which I think is quite... I don't know why they don't do that now, actually. I think there should be blue, blue colouring in there. I think it's quite nice. And when Prince Charles was baptised in Buckingham Palace's music room... In 1948, water was taken from the River Jordan, which is a tradition believed to date back to the time of Richard I. Did you know that? See? The things we tell... Do you know, honestly, you've got no idea what's going on in this world, have you, at all, until we actually tell you about it. So that was, I didn't know about that. I think that, that's quite an interesting thing. Read the boys scared of flying, says Lynn. I'm awful, I know, but I'd have run out of patience before I ran out of money, and I would have pointed out the nearest orphanage. <laughs> yes, you're staying... Well, he, do- he doesn't care. He wants to stay there, quite clearly. But he's psyched himself up, and it's got to that bad stage where he now... He, he, you know, kids make themselves ill, don't they? I've seen kids make themselves ill over, over foods that they won't eat. So if they'll do it over that, he doesn't... Why does he want to come back to this country? He wants to, he, he wants to stay over there. All his friends are over there. But it's now costing, unfortunately... 
his uh, father big time. His father wants to come back to see the mother, and she wants to see him because they're now worried that the marriage might be on the rocks, and all because they can't get this kid on a plane. And I've said, well, the easy idea would be to, to drug him and to, to give him a tablet and let him go to sleep. But you can't do that on a plane because you'd have to have him medically checked all the way. It'd just be ridiculous. The other thing is hypnotise him. Teach him hypnosis or teach somebody hypnosis so that they can hypnotise him into, into actually sort of being able to get on a plane or go to one of these flight simulator schools where, where, where people, you know, teach you not to be frightened anymore. Because I don't know what the fear is, but there again, everybody's got a fear of something, haven't they? And I don't know what his fear is. I don't know whether or not it's it's a fear of, of the actual engines. Because in the Science Museum, we were looking at this size engine. They've got a Rolls-Royce engine from Concorde. It is huge. It's, I mean, it's enormous. It's absolutely enormous. I'm watching a picture, actually, of the of this man who's walking on a high wire above a bit of the Grand Canyon. And I don't know if he's one of the great Wallenders. I think he, he, he might be, actually. It is. It is Nick Wallender. The Wallender family are very famous in circus in America. Very, very famous. And at the end of it, he just ran across. But he was attached by wire to a wire that went, ran across. So there was no danger of him dying on the thing. I did a bit of high-wire walking. Well, it was a low-wire walking. It wasn't quite the same, I'm afraid. I love the story that's in some of the papers today about the council. Uh, they've scrapped their £50,000 a year grass-cutting bill after, after they discovered they've been trimming more than 560 lawns they didn't own. They are dumb, aren't they, some councils? This was in 1996 to help elderly and sick council house tenants maintain their gardens in Wales's rural heartland. Look, see you, Bark. Look, they've come to cut the grass again. Uh, the scheme is worth 88 quid a property. It's been running for 15 years. It's been unchallenged until council chiefs scrutinised departmental spending, uh, revisited it. A spot check on homes in uh, Montgomeryshire, mid Wales, look, see you back again, discovered it had been maintaining lawns they hadn't owned for nearly a decade. Apparently, now the cutting itself has been trimmed after Powys Council. Look, see you, Bark, his uncle die. Said they couldn't justify the service during an austerity drive and were scrapping the service for 568 homes to save £50,000. Councillor Rosemary Harris, and not at all Welsh, said the authority had been maintaining lawns it didn't need to for years. She said, we're cutting grass at some properties that we no longer own. Have you ever heard of it? Have you ever heard of such a thing? How lovely. I love stuff like that. I think that's quite funny, really, that they're sort of doing it. And then somebody goes, um, you don't actually own this grass, sir. Why are you cutting it? There's a piece of grass uh, not too far away from me. And it's uh, and it's sort of it's on a corner on a sort of council estate where I think a lot of people have bought their houses, but nobody's maintaining it. And obviously some, and some people have actually done it before and maintained other pieces and they've incorporated it into their, their property. So anyway, they come to sell that people suddenly realise that half of it isn't, uh, isn't much good. Um, did you know that it may be the 21st century, but the nation's children, including the 12-year-old over in Abu Dhabi, still have very traditional ideas. Young girls still favour downtrodden maidens like Cinderella, or as I prefer to call it, Sarah Ferguson and the two girls. Boys are more keen on plucky adventurous figures like Jack from Jack and the Beanstalk. Well, he wasn't much cop, was he? He nicked the cow, took it to market, flogged it for a few a few beans. I asked him, I mean, cows are, like, really worthwhile. They're, like, really serious. They could have had steak for a year because his mother looked like she'd never eat much. And so he goes, he flogs the, the cow, comes back with the beans, and then puts them in the garden. And the next minute, these things are, like, as big as... Oh, it's, it's like, you know, the, your worst nightmare 
all of a sudden the beanstalk is bigger than anything you've ever seen. And then he climbs up there, and apparently there's somebody living at the top in the clouds. I think Jack had been on the wacky-backy, ladies and gentlemen. I think there is no doubt in my mind whatsoever that the fee five fo fun bit was just purely in his mind. LBC 97 point... Susan Bookbinder with you in uh, ten minutes' time. Nick Ferrari this morning at seven, the latest on Nelson Mandela's condition. It's been described as critical. He's unresponsive at the moment. He's not opened his eyes for a, a while. But uh, I'm sure there'll be developments as the uh, as the day goes through. Plus, what would make a 28-year-old woman want to end her life? And would you mind if your council spied on you from the sky in the name of catching illegal immigrants? From one council near London, it's become a reality. Patricia Janet is looking at the papers this morning. Baroness Scotland of, I think it's Ashall. I might, I might have got them mispronounced. I don't know where they, where they come up with these places from, but it sounds very, very exotic. And uh, she'll be in the studio this morning looking at the papers with Nick Fry. I'll run through the front pages in a moment for you. Just going back very quickly to the, uh, the nation's children having very traditional ideas of their fairy tale heroes. Uh, Cinderella was the number one fairy tale character for girls, chosen by 44%, followed by Goldilocks. Was she, the, was she the porridge one, Goldilocks? Uh, Puss in Boots. I can't remember what Puss in Boots was. Well, I remember Puss in Boots, but just a cat in boots, wasn't it? Did it do anything? Little Red Riding Hood, she was a bit of a worry. And uh, Cinderella's Fairy Godmother. Yes, yeah, she was nice. And I liked the one in, D- in Disney where they were all little, little bits of light. That was, that was quite nice as well. Uh, top fairy tale character for boys was Jack from Jack and the Beanstalk. As I say, he must have been on some magic mushrooms or something, climbing up a beanstalk. Followed by... Puss in Boots again. Puss in Boots seems to... I don't know why Puss in... I don't know why. The Gingerbread Man. Gingerbread Man. The Three Bears from Goldilocks. And the Big Bad Wolf from The Three Little Pigs. It's the start of National Book Start Week. So Did your parents used to read you books? We used to have books in the bath in my day. Books in the bath. Can you believe that? Those nice sort of cut-up book things. They had sort of serrated edges. That's all I, all I could tell you about them. Uh, what else in the uh, the papers today? Not a lot, I'm afraid. The wire he's standing on is two foot wide, Steve. I wouldn't want to climb across a wire, but I think he was he was hinged, you know, to a wire above him. David in Croydon says, the boy who can't fly, give him a smack bottom, tell him to grow up. This kind of mamby-pamby parenthood is why this country's in the state it's in. Well, it, you do, you're not fans of this poor boy at all. He's really coming in for some stick today. Uh, Anne says, how could you say Jack and the Beanstalk was mad? At least he got the golden goose and became rich. Did he? I thought he just went up the thing and then came down. Did he, did he pinch the golden goose or something? Well, it was the giants. He's a thief as well. The man should hang. He should hang, I'm afraid. That wasn't cool. Bean for gold? Not so good. I like the woman who cut her hair off, Rapunzel. I thought she was quite cool. You know, let your hair down and I'll climb on Rumpelstiltskin. I remember that one. Uh, Anne says, the boy who has a fear of flying after he got to Abu Dhabi, was it his first flight and was it traumatic? I don't know. I, d- I mean, I don't know. He's been out there for a year and being out there for a year, he's developed this phobia for flying, which means that they can't get him back on the planes again. And I don't know why they can't get him back on the plane again. Just hypnotise him, get him on there so he believes it's OK. Uh, Brendan's new magical mystery tour, Channel 4 tonight. I know you like him, says Sarah Romford. Yes, we, we did a phone interview with, with Brendan from Coach Trip. We liked him, actually. I've lost my, um, oh, I've lost my, um, what have I lost? I've lost my emails, actually. Which around it. Ah, oh, sorry, I found them. Uh, there we go. Uh, very quickly, one here. Uh, on the subject of chips. 
which are very popular with the with the Brits abroad. Young Jan says, thank you so much for all my birthday wishes on this wonderful Midsummer's Day. I still listen every day, and you still keep me sane. Jan, have a very, very, very happy birthday. We have very, very fond memories, as you know, of the Queen's in Hornchurch. And I know you've not been uh, too sparkly, but have a lovely, lovely day. I hope lots of people buy you lots of presents and chocolates and things like that. You go home and a bottle, open a bottle of Astis Bumanti, which is lovely. Uh, have that boy's parents heard of boats? He won't get on a boat either. He's, he's putting his foot down. He just doesn't quite clearly want, want to leave Abu Dhabi. He quite clearly likes it so much, but his father can't afford to be there. And presumably his father's job has fallen through. I can't think of any other reason why they've gone from a, a six-bedroom house, seems a bit daft, doesn't it, with a few of them in it, to uh, a two-bedroom flat. Uh, yes, James in Edinburgh, I'm sorry about that. He says, I have to now get up at 4am and move to the living room to listen to you. It's, but it's worth it. You can listen on, online. You can go to the LBC website, lbc.co.uk. You've literally got five... I've just realised, I'm so sorry, five minutes because Jonathan Harris from Birmingham correctly identified Jamie Redknapp married Louise Nerding. He got himself the Nike Plus fuel band. Today, for the gadget giveaway, it's the Google Chromebook laptop with cloud storage for added security. Light, easily transportable. It really is. It's, it's nice and I'd love it to be you who wins it today. One lucky listener will win the Google Chromebook by Samsung just by answering this question correctly. Which brand has the advertising slogan Eat Fresh? Which brand has the advertising slogan Eat Fresh? Text the word gadget, followed by your answer, and send it to 84850 before 6.30 this morning. It's got to get here before 6.30 this morning. The text costs £1.50, plus your standard network rate. If you text after the closing time, you won't be entered but may still be charged. We're playing across the LBC network. Full terms and conditions online at lbc.co.uk. So it's Gadget. The answer to which brand has the advertising slogan, Eat Fresh. And send it to 84850 to get here in the next four minutes. Text costs £1.50 plus your standard network rate. If you text after the closing time, you won't be entered but may still be charged. We play across the LBC network. Terms and conditions online at lbc.co.uk. Front pages of the uh, the papers for you this morning. Felicity Kendall on the Express. TV star shock at her family's darkest secret. I'll let you read the paper to find out. Uh, why Andy Murray, uh, with his number one fan here, girlfriend Kim Sears. She's very pretty. He wants a double Wimbledon celebration. Vital benefits for pensioners could be scrapped in a fresh round of swinging cuts. Is on the front of the Express. The Sun this morning. Uh, who will land a sexy part? This is girls up for this uh, 50. And somebody called Mila. I don't know who she is. Mila, Mila somebody. Uh, stricken Mandela is critical. His uh, health has taken a turn for the worst. I think this is about the third time since the beginning of the year that he's been backwards and forwards to hospital. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, police investigating a bar full of Brits. Uh, arrested them for playing bingo, not here in Albufero. Uh, the Daily Mirror, Mandela is critical. The undercover cops spied on the Lawrence family. This is an amazing story, which you've heard on the news. And also the judge who jailed serial child sex attacker Stuart Hall for just 15 months once had to quit after he was caught in a gay brothel. Oh, Lord. Uh, the Daily Star, Ant Dex Kinnear. And booted babe Sally, nothing, nothing uh, babe about her at all, I'm afraid. The one that you hated in the Big Brother house, the few of you that are still watching. 
and so they've uh, they've sort of given up on her. Thankfully, she's thinking about leaving the country. Nigella Lawson has apparently said she's not battered, and Big Brother ex-copper Dan Neal has given Scotland Yard a headache by blabbing about the Jimmy Savile sex abuse case, claims the booted, tattooed thing who was kicked out of the house as well. Nelson Mandela, front page of The Times... With the headline, The End Nears for Mandela. He's become critically ill. He's been 16 days in hospital. 16 days in hospital. The Telegraph, Murray, I might never win Wimbledon. And apparently the new place for asylum seekers is Ecuador. There's me thinking it could have been anywhere but Ecuador. But that's the, the latest place for Edward Snowden, who has applied for asylum there. Just about it. It's all the Daily Mail. Sorry, on the front page, it's, uh, it's nasty old Grant Bovey. With, uh, with the woman he might or might not be seeing, uh, quite clearly without a care in the world, having the time of his life on holiday in the south of France. And Serena versus Maria, the great Wimbledon catfight. I've got a free podcast up for you in 30 minutes' time. It'll be there on LBC for you to download at your leisure, as they say. Have a great day. Might get some decent weather this week. Not too much of it. Nick and the team with you at 7 with news of Nelson Mandela. In the morning news with Susan Bookbinder, which is next. LBC. 